Welcome to Ghost Divers. This is a 
tangentially anime podcast uh these question bucket episodes definitely veer into a lot less anime territory i feel like mm-hmm. um but yeah this is an anime podcast the question buckets we just use to like let you know that we don't only watch anime <laughs> which i'm assuming yeah. like i hope you would know but i still want to like provide the space for people to get to know other things that we like that aren't um <laughs> like this narrow focus so anyway i am your host neve and i'm joined here by my co-host connor hello everyone thank you for coming back for our second question bucket or maybe this is your first one and either yeah. way welcome We'll definitely be very focused if this is your first one. Like, of course, there's going to be no rambling at all. No weird tangents. Um, you know, anyway. I, I'm kind of setting us up to fail here, but, you know, the last question bucket, we just the nature of the questions that, that we got. And I think because of like, where we both, like our first one. Yeah, to... we just, we wanted to get some things out of the way, and then it just, like, it, at least... Snowballed. <laughs> yeah, it snowballed. And at least for me, like, like A, it went on really long, and then an element of fatigue just set in where I was, like, you know, losing a little bit of sharpness. But also there were times where I was just, like, unexpectedly overcome with emotion and just degenerated into, like, <laughs> gibberish, essentially. I think um, it was a really good episode, but, um, yeah, I, I hope, and I hope not to like lapse into gibberish on this one, but if you listen to the first question bucket and you're coming back, you know, thank you. That's, uh, yeah. you know, um, but uh, I'm, I'm mainly just joking. Um, I, I really enjoyed the, the first question bucket. It was just, I think this one might be a little, I don't know, maybe tighter. Yeah. And I definitely won't have any feelings about queerness and how it relates to self-harm when I get to Gaylord Phoenix. Anyway, let's talk about Sakagake Cromarty High School. <laughs> um, yes, let's do it. Yeah. So I think in terms of like, you know, we like to try and wrap stuff up and then get to questions. I don't know if you have like anything you want to say ahead of time. I feel like Cromarty High School, we like really nailed down in our discussion episodes for the the show. Like, I feel like there there's a little bit extra that I wanted to touch on before we, like, before I got an email, and then the email also kind of touches on it. So I'm just like, okay, like, we can just get straight to the emails if we want. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's a good starting point. Okay. So I'm going to start with the Cromarty questions from Ian's email. They wrote in, again, had some very, very nice things to say. Um, They also said, like, feel free to edit down my questions because they're long. And Ian, have you listened to our show? Uh, We don't (laughs) care about going long. (laughs) Um, So, again, I really appreciate all of the the kind words you had. And it's like, I mean, like, Connor, I was talking to you online, like, just blown away at... Like, this is actually connecting with someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is wild. Because, um, yeah. again, we would be happy just doing it and throwing it into the ether and being like, that was a fun chat I had with my friend. Um, yeah, I think I think in the first, our first ever episode, we had some discussion about, like, you know, our, 
our expectations for this podcast. And I think I said then, but I'll just like say again now, just the fact of like doing this podcast with you and being able to have these conversations is like, it's such a joy for me, even though, you know, I, I can, I can sometimes be a little overwrought about it, but that's like, because I, I enjoy it so much, but really the, the ultimate like goal, if I had one would just be, if only like one person or a few people get some like happiness or something out of this, if it like helps them access some aspect of a show that, you know, they weren't able to access before or, you know, anything really. Um, if it gives anyone anything that is just, uh, extremely satisfying and fulfilling. Um, so Ian, uh, thank you for writing in. I also, um, I, I think Nia speaks for us both as far as saying like, thank you. It means a lot. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll get to the questions now. Um, so there are two here and we'll just take them in order. I think, uh, the first one here, Ian writes, we all agree that Gorilla Sushi is the best episode because it obviously is, but one of, what are some of your favorite individual jokes in the show? I'm pretty partial to Hokuto opening the classroom door for the first time in his introductory episode, which isn't the smartest joke of the show, but did get the biggest bark of laughter out of me. I think this might be also when like Freddy's there and they're just like slapping his head and everything. It's just like the like opening, closing, like opening. <laughs> um, it's definitely a good bit. I I talked about on the podcast the. I'm drawing a blank the the name of the biker, but like that punchline of just Mekazawa overtaking him and Kamiyama's riding backwards, like that one that hit me so hard. So I feel like that has to be like the biggest one for me. Um, I was trying to think of there are like other big ones that stand out, but I don't know if there are any that like any other ones that stand out to you. Um, there, there are quite a few. Um, yeah. I think the ones that we like the most, like to some extent, just got the most pod uh, because we like them so much. Uh, but yeah, it's like the the pencil scene in episode one. Oh god, yeah, the pencil scene's so good. <laughs> uh, I think the first time we watched that, it was either the first time we watched it or like the second time I watched the series by myself. I just laughed so hard at that. It was like also... it was like a painful laughing fit. <laughs> It was so, just so fucking funny. <laughs> Related, I always really love the, I think it's in the second episode, where there's, like, Kamiyama talking for a while about um, how are they going to, like, animate this comic because it's just a bunch of talking heads or whatever. And then the, like, pencil falls off the desk and they just lit- literally reuse the animation from the first episode of when the pencil falls off the desk and then the, like, <laughs> guy picks it up and eats it. Um, and then Kamiyama's just like... <gasps> It moved. (laughs) Um, And like that one, just like as a a meta joke about the way that they're animating the comic always hits me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think if there are some other like really big ones. I mean, the Hokuto seal thing is obviously (laughs) one of the greatest. (laughs) It's obviously one of the greatest jokes of all time. 
um, <laughs> the like initial, the first Yamaguchi episode where there's that sequence of like, you know, I can't, I can't remember his subordinate's name, but you know, the, like the sex jokes and Yamaguchi, oh, like, yeah, Ishikawa. his internal monologue or whatever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that one's pretty, pretty damn good. Um, but those are all the ones that like, you know, kind of got the most pod. Some other ones that are just like more minor that we didn't really get to, I don't think. The episode where they upgrade Mekazawa's OS, there's this like truly bizarre although can can anything be called bizarre in the context of Kurohai? There's this really bizarre tangent where like Kamiyama just goes like starts explaining what an OS is. And he goes on this long tangent and he's like, oh, you know, there's also risks with like upgrading an OS. You can lose all your data and like so on and so forth. Oh, and also like it can make your printer stop working. <laughs> and and I'm just like, uh, okay, that's um that's that's a pretty good joke. Uh yeah. So yeah, it's just you know, it's so hard to choose, but yeah, like th- those are some of some of my favorites, I think. Yeah. I feel like there's like one joke in almost every episode that will get to me, but really the the one that hit me the hardest this time was the like Sugawara, I think, or whatever the name of the biker just being overtaken like and Kamiyama riding backwards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, what the like, fuck is I was Kamiyama I was trying to say it on the podcast and was being struck by the humor of it that I was like just laughing a bunch while I was trying to talk about it. So um, I, I also, I will add that, so I, I have a bath mat outside <laughs> my shower, um, and now, like, whenever I'm getting out of the shower, you're thinking I, about how, I, I think when about, you got into the shower, I think about Maida's mom, yeah, and, like, I'm, like, I should wash my bath mat. Yeah. So for some reason that one is just stuck with me. It's literally every time I look at my bath mat and I'm like, God damn it, my bath mat is dirty. How did this happen? My my pro tip is so we have two bath mats. We have one in front of the shower and one like by the toilet. Um, and it's nice to have two bath mats because you can put them both in the the washing machine and like have it balanced because that's like an issue with like normally just trying to wash a bath mat. Um, make sure just... you do cold for bath mats, cold okay. water only. I, um, I appreciate that because that's yeah. that's really what's keeping me from. It's what's holding me back is I uh, just I'm yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm very insecure about like laundry because I just don't know. I know that once upon a time I stumbled upon this article, and it was the worst thing probably that's ever happened to me because it was like delineating. It was a really helpful article. But it was like delineating in great detail exactly how you're supposed to wash like every different type of fabric and garment. Um, yeah. And, you know, like how to get out s- certain stains and whatever. And it was so like precise and like detailed that I just was completely overwhelmed and my brain <laughs> shut down. And now, whenever I even like, I can't think about. Like the different requirements of different garments in in laundry, you know. So I'm just like, yeah. when I see a bath mat and I think about washing it, I'm just like, I just shut down. So 
I'm going to give you this advice because I also know how you dress. A nice thing about having a fairly limited color palette is mm. that you don't have to like sort a bunch by colors. And so basically what I do is I have like two main group groupings in terms of like, and the way that I divide it in my head is there is stuff that goes in the dryer and then stuff that needs to be hung up. And that's like, basically I just wash everything that should be hung up together. And I do that on a cold cycle, like cold gentle cycle. And then I do everything that like can go in the dryer on like the warm wash, cold rinse, like regular cycle. And then the only things that I do on like the high heat and like super intense wash is basically sheets because like bed bugs are serious business and that will kill bed bugs. I had a bed bug infestation like years ago and I still like cannot not just do super high heat like to just completely blast my sheets because that's a thing you have to do to like try and get rid of them among other things but yeah like that main division and when it comes to like basically most stuff can go in the dryer and it's mostly like knit stuff so like sweaters anything that's like wool and yeah just like knits tend to be a little bit more delicate so like anything that you know sweater has that like knitted texture to it um and then also any t-shirts that have printing on them because a lot of printing actually gets like severely damaged when you put it in the dryer um i had a lot of like very dear to me band shirts that were ruined by my dad because he put them in the the dryer so it's really just like that division and then oxycrylene will kill like like help with any protein stain which basically means like any stain that comes from your body is a protein stain a big one that I deal with for reasons is blood and yeah, OxyClean, like you spray it on and it just like immediately starts working at blood because blood's just like pure protein. So those are my, those are my laundry tips. I, I know you're trying to be helpful, but my hands are sweating <laughs> right now. I just can't handle that. Um, but thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, so I'm also, I'm very lucky that my, girlfriend is very skilled and knowledgeable uh, like with and about textiles um yeah that's true that's like what she's going to school for right (laughs) yeah like partially but so in a pinch i can always just like text her and be and be like hey um how how do i do this and then i can just take things one at a time and i don't have to you know, bank too much laundry related information in my brain. <laughs> and that, that helps me greatly. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that answered your question, Ian. <laughs> yeah. I was waiting. I was waiting to be able to point out like, why the fuck are we talking about laundry right now? Um, <laughs> so yeah. let's, do we want to move on to the other question? Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's <laughs> please okay. God, let's get off the laundry. <laughs> So, uh, the second part of the, the, like, I guess the second Crow High question that they sent in, uh, says on one hand, so many of the characters on the show feel trapped by the identities. They feel like they have to perform to fit in and who their peers in society expect them to be. And almost all of the, those are in some kind of traditionally shitty masculine role or archetype. 
On the other hand, I feel like the characters in the show are really kind and supportive of each other's emotional needs a lot of the time in a way that is subversive of that toxic masculinity, and the show is clearly self-aware enough of the spaces it's playing in uh, to be doing that on purpose. Obviously, everything on the show stretches to some degree to fit whatever punchline they're going for in the moment, but I was wondering if you two had any further thoughts on the gender stuff happening here. Um... I don't know if you have any immediate thoughts or else I can like, there are things that I thought of while we were recording the podcast. And I was just like, I, I actually just want to do this crow high without talking about trans shit for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, in part, because I don't think that the show is like truly interested in engaging in like the deeper queer things that I could talk about in the way that I think ghost in the shell was whether it knows it or not more seriously engaging with with certain queer themes or trans themes um yeah i i don't i don't think it that's really in like very much in the purview of crow high yeah the two big things that like stood out to me and also when i was then re-listening to our episodes to like prep for this um one is just like hokuto's lackey's name which at the time i didn't like I was like focused on like let's talk about how the comedy is focused is discussing things here, but like obviously the end thing is like hey if someone like wants to change their name fucking let them change their name, and then there's like the stuff with Mekazawa's body like especially the one where they're talking about um, Mekazawa's a motorcycle now and it is like competing in the sports and then like oh Mekazawa is doing really well at the sprint but won't be able to do the high jump and then also like succeeds at the high jump but a lot of the conversation around that being like it's still our friend even though he's like changed his body um even though he's like different now we should still accept him um and having those conversations around it and both of those like when I think about them I can I can get some sort of trans resonance from it of like people changing names and how to deal with that and like the way that bodies change and stuff like that um that are again I could like I could talk at length about this and I don't know how much I really want to because it's like I don't think it's fully what the show's doing and I think what it is more interested in is like what Ian is hit on here which is just I think it wants to really present like the way that society constrains people and make that a subject of the humor mm-hmm. and to make it a subject about of the humor in a way that I think like this is one of the things I was kind of touching on with the um I've totally forgotten the the essay because we there's a recording time gap here but like the one that is specifically about like how Ninkyo actually in some ways reinforces feudalistic tendencies because it like acts as an escape valve rather than like an actual challenge that's going to encourage people to be rebellious and so they can kind of watch this thing about a criminal who's able to be rebellious and be like oh i can imagine telling my boss off and then not actually like do anything about it and i think in some ways the show could be seen as that way like in some ways, I think it is trying to be a little bit more like, hey, let's actually have like, I think the the whole endeavor of Crow High of being like, let's make a jokes about this and let's do it in a way that I think is very like, I don't think Crow High is ever mean spirited. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Crow High is very invested in having jokes about like the way that society has impositions and like expectations placed on people and how people try to deal with that and how that. And, like, contextualizing it into somewhat of a comedy of errors, but in a comedy of errors that's, like, very compassionate 
to the people involved and to like the way that society constrains us in a way that again i think is like very at odds with a lot of stuff that happens in adult swim that i think can hit me wrong because it is going for this like shock humor thing um that can like very quickly veer into like dehumanizing people that are are being made the like shocking thing or just like making light of more serious things in these ways that that don't feel like they have that like compassion for the people involved. So I think the show is still like subversive in some ways, but also I think like, I don't think Eiji Nonoka is trying to say anything deep about like queerness. And I, I don't know how much time I want to spend specifically on that like aspect. And so that's why I never really brought up like, Hey, Hokuto's lackey's name and Mekazawa's body. Like there is something kind of queer going on here um, because I just, like, I don't really know what else to say about it other than, like, yeah, like, if someone wants to change their name, let them. <laughs> but yeah. also, this is doing a realistic portrayal of the way that people are like, oh, it's so hard when you change your name. And the people are having a conversation about it and coming to some conclusion. Um, but it's, yeah. I don't know if you have other thoughts, but this is, like, I kind of wanted to just talk a little bit about this on the podcast because I feel like I didn't hit it at all. And when I was re-listening, I was like... I wish I would have just at least said, like, hey, if Hokuto's lackey wants to change his name, just, like, fucking let him. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely something there with just, like, you know, n- not only, like, changing the name from, like, but that not recognizing what, how should I put this? Like, not... The only reason that there needs to be a change is because, like, they're not recognizing what his name truly is to begin with. So it's, like, a prioritizing of, like, what we think your name should be versus, like, you know, what you, like, what name is yours. Um, Yeah. And, yeah, like, the joke around them refusing to, like, recognize his name is, you know, yeah, there's definitely something there. Um, which I yeah. think you, you covered. But also, like, I think the takeaway that you get from the end of all of those jokes is that, like, Hokuto's lackey should be allowed to just say his name. And it's kind of just, like... Unreasonable. That yeah, not, these yeah. people are being unreasonable and then, like, starting to become reasonable. And yet then, like, now the fates are conspiring against it, in a way. Yeah. Um, that has like a certain comedic tragedy or like tragic comedy to it. Um, Yeah. Like, yeah, I I think, I think it's, you definitely identify with like Hokuto's lackey, which now it just feels, now it feels bad to, to to say Hokuto's lackey, but that's all we have. That's Um, all we have. Yeah. So I think you definitely identify with him though in like the initial, I mean, throughout where it's just like, it's clearly seen as an absurdity that that everyone else is like not acknowledging his his name and like being so adamant about you, you, like I think we talked about this on the podcast, but the way that it like their act their like act of doing that becomes acknowledged, and then they like even once it's acknowledged, they're like yeah, like that's what we're going to do the absurdity just like escalates to the point where it's like, you know, 
the aliens are landing when he's going to announce his name and like you know so yeah. so it's i think it's their side of it is like absurd you know throughout um and then mikazawa's body yeah i mean i i can see that as well um i think a lot of the there's a way that that like evolves out of the that central like conceit of Mekazawa's a robot to begin with and then mm-hmm. they never like there's that prolonged joke about like whether they acknowledge that openly or not um how they and how they perceive him um and then the stuff that you were talking about like kind of folds back in on that where it's like oh he's a motorcycle so now it's like even more exaggerated that he's like a robot and it reignites like all yeah. of the the tension or whatever and it's like especially when i th- like bodies are just to me a very trans thing and so when i think about megazawa's body like i can map on these ways that like i think the arc of the way that people treat megazawa is one that's like that i can in some way map onto my own arc of like the difficulty that people have at first sometimes with like oh you are trans and you have a trans body and then like something switches like in the same way that their brain switched from like is anyone going to point out that Mekazawa is a robot to being like don't be a jerk and say it like Mekazawa is who Mekazawa says that he is right is like a yeah. thing that happens with like Kamiyama and Hayashida um, and so I think like throughout the course of the series we see like people continue to affirm just like Mekazawa like you're cool you're our friend blah 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 that like still kind of connects with some way for me but again it's one of these things where i'm just like like some of it almost feels like mekazawa is itself like his whole stuff is just a joke about cyberpunk body stuff in a way that like any trans reading that i'm getting from it is coming from like it just being a parody of a thing that is actually engaging with this in like a more serious way that um if you want to hear me unpack and you have not listened to the Ghost in the Shell standalone complex episodes, go back and listen to those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's also like an an element. I mean, just speaking of bodies now, like there's an iterative element. Like it's literally like iterative the way that Freddy and Mekazawa and uh, Gorilla Gory are like introduced as, you know, like quote unquote, like non-traditional like types of students or like you know this certain type of character um Mm -hmm. and so there's there's something like i mean again it's it's all a joke in and of itself that like these characters exist and the fact that they're different in these ways like in these kind of like absurd ways is is a joke but you know yeah i mean (laughs) We could go further with this. Uh, yeah. I th- like I think my big takeaway or like my big like final thought here is just that like I don't think that Cromarty High has any grand important things to say about this, but also the way that it handles it never it never like hits me in a bad way where it takes me out of it in the way that a lot of other stuff that jokes about this that like could start touching on these themes and be making jokes about it would because it would feel like it's like dehumanizing me. Whereas I think 
again, like I think the the part that could be the most subversive or that you could like call the most subversive about the show is just how much I think it like actually loves and has compassion and like recognizes the humanity of all of the characters and that like the the core of it is the joke of like these people trying to be human in the face of a society that is trying to like put all these expectations on them and it, it doing it in this light way, but it doing it also in this way that like one of the reasons why I continue to return to this comedy is that it is something that feels like it recognizes it. Like it feels like Eiji Nonoko would be cool with me, which is just like a vibe that me as a trans person has to like have with creators sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so yeah, that the like intuitive you know i'm just thinking now of like we're kind of recording ava in the background and i know you have like yeah. thoughts on anno uh spoilers like, i think anno would hate me but i also think anno would hate me because i'm a little bit too much like him sometimes um, <laughs> except i except i like got out of it more than i think he did I, I, like, moved past it more than he did. And I think that's why he would hate me. Uh. Yeah. And, like, in since since we, like, had that... Since we recorded our last episode, like, I've thought about that. And I'm just, like... I don't... I don't see, like, how, how you get that out of Ava. But at the same time, like... I respect that there's, like, a certain type of intuition that you, like probably have that like i don't so yeah like i i respect that i don't i don't see how you get out of the series but like i know that there's <laughs> there's something there but yeah uh to circle back around to like the to ian's question i think honestly ian really hit on it uh very well with during the episode, during the, the like Crow High episodes, um, we talked about how the series, just part of what it is, is that it doesn't, it's so unmoored from like any specific like wor- worldview or conclusions. Um, everything is like fodder for the comedy, and everything to some extent is like at arm's length in this way of it's like this, you know, infinitely receding irony but when you when you consider the series as a whole like there is just a palpable sense of like compassion to it and you know i think it does have a lot to do with like you know what what you're talking about with i think maybe the first the first thing that the show does is it's like look at the absurdity of these rules a like of these tropes but then b of like the social rules that are associated with them in reality um and almost like the the first joke is that like these things are absurd and everything like spins out from there and the compassion of the characters towards one another in the first instance is like a way of revealing the absurdity of this like you know badass like violent male archetypes because it's like no no no. what if we just like disarm them and make them actually yeah. like compassionate even though they don't think they are um and just have that be like a constant joke so but but then you know it over the 
course of the series, like doing this over and over again, and then actually drawing out like character to character relationships based on this, um, it just creates like, you know, a to- uh, uh, gestalt essentially of like, oh wait, no, this is actually like a very compassionate world. Um, yeah. Even to the it's... extent that like, I was like Hokuto, for example, is presented as like the quote unquote, like evil. He's like the evil schemer, like in every Yakuza movie. And he's clearly like presented as that, but then he's like, just for no reason, like organically trying to like unite his Butler with his grandson, (laughs) with his like lost grandson, just because in a, in a way that like, you don't question because it's grow high. Like it fits with the logic of grow high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's just like, Oh, like, you, you know, you're my butler. Like I care about you. You've taken care of me my whole life. And like, don't you want to see your grandson again? Let me just try and make that happen. And it's like, yeah, there's a, like there's a certain amount to which I think Crow High has some similarities with the Yakuza video games, which like the Yakuza video games are very heavily parodying. Like the whole, every time I see someone referencing the like, here's the subtitle that says like the name, like the person's name and then like, you know, like boss of blah, blah, blah gang or whatever. And people are Mm. like, Oh, just like Yakuza. I'm like, I think you mean just like battles without the thing that Yakuza is just directly parodying. Um, (laughs) But like so much of the, the base of the Yakuza games is like referencing and homaging and often parodying like somewhat tongue in cheek, somewhat jokingly a lot of older Yakuza films. But then also as it goes on, it becomes like, I think increasingly invested in fleshing out this like weird portrayal of the world that exists where there's this weird like i mean it's debatable how well they do it i think the yakuza games sometimes don't do it as well as like Cromarty high school does for me but is often trying to have some compassion for like the people who are often the low lifes quote unquote in society or whatever and i think especially the english the um English localizations of those games have done a really good job too, as well of like trying to be very good and like not punching down about things. And I, I kind of just like bring this up because I think it's one of these things of like, I think what's happening with both the Yakuza games and with the Cromartie high school is the first step of like, how do we parody or subvert this genre is often to be like, okay, but they're like not actually badasses. Um, like here's this whole conception of a badass and let's like now invert it. And what's the like opposite is like, actually they are like sweet and caring about each other in some way. Or like they have this, like, like if the whole drama of a Yakuza film is the battle between like the humanity and the duty that people have to each other, especially like the, the Ninkyo style Yakuza films, subverting that is having it be, and ultimately, like, we are focusing on the humanity of them rather than often Yakuza cinema is focusing so much on the, like, and then here's how the duty that we have to, like, the family, to the society causes us to, to do tears, the terrible things. Apart. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, tears us apart and destroys us. And so subverting it in some ways, like, focuses you to focus, forces you to focus on this humanity side of it in a way that will then, like, gear you towards 
this inverting of like here's the horrors of toxic masculinity let us then like subvert it to here are people who like can actually then do something to support people and it it starts out as kind of like a joke that could feel mean-spirited about like oh let's laugh at these guys being nice to each other and yet very quickly gets folded in as like this is the substrate of the world is here are all these manly men who care very deeply about each other and we're gonna like that just becomes the text and then other jokes get built on top of them. Mm-hmm. And I think both of that, like that happens with Cromartie high school. And that also happens with the Yakuza games to some degree. And so like, I, I think that is a, an interesting part. This, this also happens. Like I've thought about watching it for the podcast. The first dead or alive movie, not based off the video games, the like Takashi Miike ones is like very rough to watch because a lot of it is very directly like, just referencing and aping like exploitation cinema in Japan. Um, and especially as it like resolves around Yakuza stuff. So there's just some like really difficult scenes in that movie. Yeah. There's some really fucked up shit in that movie. Yeah. And yet the, the end is a, a thing that is like very specifically denies you any sort of like ability to say, Oh, but I was watching it for like the actual interesting drama. It is like something that is specifically so ridiculous to make you have to confront like, how much you were just accepting this weird exploitation stuff because like, Oh, but then there's this plot that has this interesting drama. And I, like, I think it is specifically trying to make you aware of how much like you as a viewer are willing to accept sometimes the, yeah. the grotesque. Like because... there's this plot that I recognize that yeah. like, as a, as a generic thing that I like identify with already to an extent that I'm willing to just like be carried along with it. Yeah. And then the end like specifically denies you any sort of like, happy resolution the second movie then is like it's one of these things where i'm like dead or alive 2 is a masterpiece in my in my eyes i love it so much and yet i also think some of the like it's very difficult for me to recommend it because i think in isolation it doesn't work as well as you watching the first movie and then watching this as a follow-up and it starting from the the beginning premise of, oh, like, we're picking up where the other one left off, like, not in terms of plot, but in terms of, like, tone and, and what this movie is, where everything feels like such a joke. You are no longer taking any of this seriously because you know it is the sequel to the first Utter Alive. Everything is just seems ridiculous. Everything just seems stupid. It's just, like, weird and comedic in this way that just seems like this is, like, kind of bordering on just being, like, dumb. And then you get to the end, and while the sh- the movie is continuing to make jokes, also it becomes, like, deeply moving and heartbreaking. And the the ability for him to, like, invert so totally what happens in the first one is just incredible to me, um, and is what makes that second one a masterpiece to me. Um, and then the third one, I like, I think the joke of the third one is that it's just literally completely unrelated in, like, basically every single way, um, aside from, like, having weird illusions to the first and the second movie. And so throughout the entire third movie, you keep being like, okay, this is in some way going to like interestingly subvert what happened with the first and then the second movie. And the true interesting subversion that like you can draw out of it is just how completely like how completely fucking null and stupid and like devoid this movie actually is um so i don't like the third movie but i also get what the joke is yeah but (laughs) following from the conclusion of the second movie where it's like okay i've inverted it and now you've arrived on the other side where we're like back at like some weird um, like sincerity (laughs) 
or like you know emotional like impact and then it's like okay yeah but now the third movie now fuck you like for for thinking that 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 was where we we're going to you know yeah that's that that, that was where we we're at um, um yeah but anyway like i love yeah. those movies but also like i think part of what's also working with that second movie is the fact that it is starting from this like again this point of the joke has become the text but then because that's become the text, we can now actually do something that's like interesting or meaningful about these like these men connecting with each other in some way in a way that then becomes like emotionally moving and actually interesting. So that's why I brought up this tangent. But also, again, Dead or Alive 2, fucking great movie. I love it. <laughs> Difficult to recommend because I think you have to watch the first one first, even though it's not a direct sequel. And that that first one, like huge caveats, lots of content warnings. Yeah, um, <laughs> like all of them. Yeah. Um, so anyway, do we want do we want to wrap this up? Yeah. The other thing I was going to quick bring up here that's kind of related is so there's a part at the very end where I'm like, I don't really get what's happening with this like Cromartie Girls, Girls High, High School. school. Yeah. And I. I went and re-listened to it, and I do mention, like, maybe it's a Nutena thing. I've been re-watching some Nutena, just, like, it's been a while. I haven't watched it since high school. I wanted to kind of, like, especially because I wanted to make sure, like, I was originally planning to do the the first, like, arc, which is, I think, 13 episodes of the show as just one episode of the podcast. And after watching it, I was like, I think we really need to, like, break this down because I know Connor and I, we're going to have a lot to say. Um, but... While I was doing it too, I was just like, oh my god, like, there is so much of Cromartie High that I think actually is indebted to Utena. I think the biggest one that really stood out to me is there's the whole thing about Hokuto's dream that we touch on. And this is, like, literally the joke of an episode of Utena. There, like, the whole thing of, like, I am dreaming that I am an animal. There is someone making steak, and then it, like, wakes me out of this nightmare of me being an animal is a joke that existed in Utena that just like literally gets re like replicated in Kermarty high school. And especially the, the manga, which like has more of Hokuto's dream. Um, and so like, yeah. And there's just been like other weird bits. Like there's Freddie's horse that like very directly mimics a thing that happens in Utena as well, where I'm just like, I think that actually that thing at the end was especially put in there to like even more so than the the manga, which I think may have also in some way been drawing off of Utena or been like using that as some substance. But I think that like the anime itself points out, and this also comes up with like Digicarrot, which I don't think is like full like shoujo anime, but is also still pointing towards like something more feminine. But I think especially them putting in the last episode was almost putting some like Cromartie is handled differently than Utena and yet also is doing stuff where it's like, this is not necessarily like, this is not animation that immediately strikes someone as good and yet is actually doing interesting animation techniques or is like doing something weird with it. And so I think like in multiple ways, Cromartie high school actually is pointing towards Utena as like an influence on it. Um, and that the Cromartie girls high school part is like actually explicitly doing that. And so, yeah, there's, Expect when we do Utena, me doing lots of jokes where I'm like, and then Hokuto wakes up. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, because yeah, I I forgot how many actual connections there there were. Um, again, it's been a while. I watched it in high school, and I I also don't think I finished it. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast yet, but back when I was watching anime, it was a lot of buying individual DVDs, which means sometimes your friend only bought like the first three, and that's all you watched. Um, yeah, I have you know, never finished Razefan. Yeah, back back when you were watching anime, you know, yeah, all those years ago, before you, you know, stopped watching anime. There was a period of time where I did not watch much anime, but I'm back, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, you, we have what we have another specifically Crow High related question here. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's do it. So this one comes in from Corey, who uh, is the person behind the Implied Bear who did the theme song for the Welcome to Ghost Divers. So again, search the Implied Bear on Google and you can like find their stuff. Go support them. They're great. But here's the question. Uh, You mentioned that concept of finding familiarity with a person when they know of and appreciate some hyper-specific forms of comedy. Do you have any fun anecdotes of dropping a reference to some obscure comedy media and being surprised about whose ears perked up and even like how many people who were already friends didn't realize they all liked something, they just never brought it up before? Also, what's your favorite cuss word? Mine's fuck, I think. Um, I'm going to answer the first one because it's a shorter thing. Fuck is a really good good cuss word. Like, mm. it's it's hard to compete with fuck. Because it's just such a versatile yep. cuss word. Like, you can do so many stuff, like, so much stuff with fuck. So I wanted to think about it a little bit more beyond just, like, fuck is a great cuss word. And I think my favorite form of fuck, I, I realized this while doing tweets, is... So when I'm tweeting on main, I like to sometimes just refer to the people who follow me on main or who will see my tweets as you fuckers. Um... <laughs> And I just, I like that, like, I like fuckers for some reason. Like, the, it works really well. I don't know, it just, like, that's my, like, favorite iteration of of fuck, I think, is just fuckers. It's just calling people fuckers. (laughs) Yeah, I, I didn't really give it that level of thought, because I just, you know, I saw this question, I just agreed. It's, fuck is really great, because it just... It, it transcends, like, definition so completely. Yeah. Um, like, even to choose... <laughs> it's like, a, there's just, like, an auditory quality, or, like, there are things that when you just, like, say them, they feel good to say, right? Yeah. And oh, yeah. fuck is one of them. Like, it's just, like, you get, like, the... F- and then the, like, k- like, you get, like, the hard K at the end. Yeah. It's just such a good word to, like, say. It just feels good. It does. And also, like... You know, to take another form of it, like fucking, you know, okay, yeah, so Mm -hmm. obviously there's the verb that, you know, standard, but I can just be like, yeah, like that fucking thing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that can be used in just like extreme anger, like that, that fucking bastard or something. And it can be used in like the utmost levity, just being like, yeah, that, you know, that fucking scene where Kamiyama is riding backwards on a motorcycle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great one. I don't, it's, it's really hard to beat. 
especially because like they're so so many others are just like either kind of lame or like loaded somehow and it's just like yeah i don't there's there's not there's not very much competition either i feel like i mean so the other thing is like there are some that are fun in like very specific contexts like sometimes my wife will call me a cunt and that's like fun when she does that but that's like that's far more narrow i don't think i would call it my favorite cuss word you know yeah and it's also just not like like the the fun of like this was another one that i was thinking about which was like fag or faggot which is like a word that in some ways i identify with and can be fun in certain contexts but i'm not going to say it's my favorite cuss word like because there there's like a different thing happening when my wife calls me like a cunt or when i say like i'm being really faggoty today like it is like a reclaiming of something whereas like fuck is just a good word that anyone can use Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, I, if you called me a cunt or a faggot, Connor, I would be like, whoa. <laughs> what What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, that sums it up, right? Yeah. Like, the uh, the like, other thing we, here. We all agree that fuck is the best cuss word. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I want to say here though is i also sometimes enjoy like being in situations where you totally could say like the worst thing and then very specifically being like oh my gosh or whatever like there sometimes i enjoy the like let me do the like not cuss word version the the bodlerized yeah yeah um specifically in situations where i really could just say the cuss word like that's where it's the most like funny to me but i feel like that's not quite the spirit of the question um i do like one of my favorite of this is just telling people to go and do one it's just like a very good like it's really fun to say like they should go and do one yeah obviously which basically means like you should fuck off but you should go and do a fuck yeah, but you just you know you don't say you it. you should go fuck yourself by going and doing one. <laughs> um, um, but anyway, the the um, I don't know if you have any like anecdotes here about hyper specific forms of comedy or like obscure media. Oh, do references. I? <laughs> but you you first though. Um, I was thinking about this. So one of it is like, one of them is just how often Corey and I are like, oh, you also know this like weird internet artifact from like 10 years ago. Cool. (laughs) Um, But also it feels weird to be like, hey, Corey, person who wrote in. Um, Yeah, we. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's you. You're the person. Uh, Yeah, you. You already know these anecdotes, Corey. Do you just want me to tell them on a podcast? Um, But yeah, I. I think the biggest ones that come up are just like weird internet jokes, just like, especially when it feels hyper specific to like a friend group. And then there's just someone outside of the friend group who enjoys it. I think the biggest one, this is, I was going to talk about this at the very end of the podcast, but I'll, I'll talk about it now. I'm currently wearing a shirt that says MILF man. I love phoboteming. And, uh, one, like that was a, a half a, a half awake joke that I made on locked Twitter that then cyborg who was written in previously to the podcast, um, enjoyed to such an extent that it 
became a real t-shirt sold by the Reykjavik grapevine and that I then purchased and again am currently wearing on my like flesh human body um and the fact that like there is a like harsh divide among my friends about people who get milf man I love phoboteming and people who are like wait what like what's the joke why is it phoboteming is like phoboteming a thing I don't know what phoboteming is um and just like that divide has been very revealing to me I will say a lot of queer people seem to get MILF man I love phoboteming a lot more. <laughs> yeah, I uh I I I don't know if I have anything to add to that. Um <laughs> Time for your anecdote. Yeah, I think I mean I I think it's funny. Um but you know it's one of those Connor, I have like... news for you. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever thought about like just like you're just laying there and you're like I just I wonder what it's like to feel an orgasm as a girl like I don't want to be a girl but I just like I feel like it would be really nice um no <laughs> I have not oh um, uh, I yeah you you really are straight <laughs> I yeah um my my level of thought on subjects like that is <laughs> I you know what what, what like, what's your anecdote? anecdote? I'll I'll um, give you the I'll give you the rip the rip cord. What's your anecdote? <laughs> yeah, thanks. I wasn't even gonna go any further. I'm just like, yeah, I'm not, you know. I I don't have anything to add there. Um Yeah, I mean it's not hyper specific. I don't really think it's in the spirit of this question. Um, but just for the sake of having the answer, back in fourth grade, so my like best friend, we've known each other since like first grade, and one of the things that we really bonded over, I don't know why it like sticks out as fourth grade in my mind, but like it might have even been earlier than that. But one of the things that we really bonded over was Captain Underpants. Did you read Captain Underpants? Um, we kind of I have like I, a I think I did, but like I don't really remember much of it. Yeah, well, I don't remember much of it either, but we were just, like, completely obsessed with this, and, like, to the extent that we just, like, started creating our own comics that were brazen, like, ripoffs of Captain Underpants, but that was really, like, that formed the basis for, like, our own little world that we had for, like, a number of years um, that I think was really good like for us and for our friendship. Um, and like to this day, I mean, we've grown up together. So there's a, a massive like congruity in our senses of humor. Cause we just influenced each other like throughout our lives in that regard. But it really, it all began with captain underpants, you know, um, which I think like all, I think, you know, all kinds of kids read that. So it's not really specific, but you know, that that's my anecdote. All right, I are we done with Crow High? I think so. We can leave Crow High behind with a, a fond glance or two, and you know it's always there though. It's like a warm embrace whenever you need yeah. it. It's always there. All, all right, bye Crow High. We love you. Bye. Um. Anyway, th- we'll we'll move on, but let's like take a body break and Autumn can get in. <laughs> Okay, I think I think 
Autumn is about to hop on. Sweet. Hello. 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 You missed me reading Garfield aloud. <laughs> I mean, you can watch it on Twitter, but... Yeah. Uh, Hi, Connor. It's exciting to talk to you in a medium that's not uh, screenshots of line messages. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting to to talk directly to you um, and not, like, by proxy past one another. <laughs> Dude, great. I fucking love Final Fantasy VIII so much. I'm hype. <laughs> oh yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. Um, I got to set expectations and be like, I haven't even finished this thing yet. Um, so okay, okay. I know you like you've played um, more than me. <laughs> I I just so I just encountered Norg, and let me okay. just say, like, what the fuck? <laughs> no. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm just like going along. Like I feel like I'm, you know, the 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 garden flying was a revelation. But you oh know. my god, it's so good. Yeah, but like that's you know, it wasn't too hard to process, and that's you know, pretty good twist. And I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> we're settling in. Garden's flying now, and you know, and then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, you know. We're gonna take you to Norg, and I'm like, okay, this seems abrupt. Um, like, why is Norg still here after like a failed coup d'état? Like, you know, he's been here the whole time. Like, okay, um, I didn't even know if this was like a person or an ent or like some sort of organization. And I'm like, okay, you're gonna take me to Norg. Okay, cool. And then it's like, yep, this is Norg, and I'm just like, okay, I thought I knew you, Final Fantasy VIII, but I didn't. Um, this is this is probably good because like there's a lot of later story stuff that like it's been about 10 months since i played the game that i'm like oh i don't want to like misspeak but like you're in like you're in kind of like not the best part but like seeing nord is kind of like ah this game can be anything uh. <laughs> <laughs> like there's just a weird alien guy in the basement who's financing the school and did we kill him I don't think so, but I I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh, Final Fantasy. It is such good. <laughs> yeah, and that dialogue too. It was just like all this exposition, but like rendered in that like like his like his dialogue the way it's like rendered, and just oh, the yeah. combination of this being like okay, like this character design that's so completely like out of place and unprecedented and jarring. And then, like, the, his dialogue being, like, this, like, comic, distorted, weird thing. And then just, like, spewing out all this legitimate exposition. And I'm just like, what the fuck? This is a lot. To, this is quite a lot to take in here. But, like, th these are, like, the most... This is some of the most major exposition that has, like, happened yet. And it's all, like, I'm getting it all from fucking Nord, like... <laughs> Who Ugh. does not, like, speak in any way that, like, is immediately intelligible. Uh, I think it's, like, it's both one of the funniest things that happens in that game. And I think also, like, actually thematically, like, resonant for me. Because, like, so much of Squall's life that we've seen so far is defined by, 
I don't know. I just go to this school and they tell me to do stuff and I just do that stuff. And like, I don't ask questions. I don't worry about it. And yeah, they take him into the basement and the guy who's running the place is like a weirdo alien who talks like funny. Literally job of the hut. <laughs> yeah, literally like you go in job of the hut is like the president. <laughs> <laughs> Or no, the CEO. <laughs> and Squall just has to roll with it. And like, uh, I think that in a weird way, it becomes kind of a weird turning point for him as a character because like, you're about to get into the stuff where he starts to be like, maybe this is some bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> maybe my life is a load of shit. <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely that, like, even in that dialogue where he's just like, no, I'd rather do what Sid like wants to do. That doesn't mm-hmm. involve me being executed. Um, <laughs> I would love and, to not get executed. <laughs> and like, I think Sid's plan is better. But yeah, I love how there's like, you get these like snippets of Squall's like, you know, internal dialogue where he's like, like they're like, oh yeah, this is Norg. Like he's the CEO. Like, all right, go ahead, present your report. And he's just like, um, what? <laughs> There's even Squall like the. Like... It's just yeah, like, oh, um, like, who, who, like, what? The, I can't even remember the exact dialogue, but it's just like a bunch of that. And he's like, okay, I guess I have to, like, present my report now. And, uh, yeah. Not. Not to interrupt instantly bonding over Final Fantasy VIII, but we should do a time.is clap. Um, also, are oh. you are you recording, Autumn? No! <laughs> Not at all! That's okay. Awesome. I will, I will see if I can pull audio from Giark or something. Uh, with Craig and Giark together. I, yes. hit, I hit the record button. I'm sorry. I love you. Okay. I love so, you, too. you know, Thank you. we, it, I'll, I'll tell you an anecdote that might make you feel a little better, but we mm. should clap first. Okay. All right. So okay. time dot is engage, uh, 10 51. We'll do at, uh, 10 I might've been a touch early, but we can do a second one. Okay. Okay. Um ten fifty one twenty six. Okay. That sounded good. Yeah, yeah, that sounded good. Okay, so speaking of not recording, like this uh-huh. incident we just had where we had a lot of pod where someone was not recording. I I think I told this I think I told this story on the podcast before, but was it the first was it the first time we recorded Ghost Divers that, like, we... You didn't record literally anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was the very first time we recorded Ghost Divers where it was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, like, let's do, you know, all right, we're good to go, like, blah, blah, Um And then we just recorded, like, uh, an entire episode, which at that time, I think our episodes were a little bit shorter, but still, like, pretty long. And then at the end, I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't record I mean, anything. Like, the the Craig audio was just like so bad for some reason too. It was I was like trying to edit it and I was just like when when we decided that we just couldn't do it yet, I was just like I'm I'm glad that I can just say bye to these 
like files. I just like deleted them and I was just like, bye. <laughs> yeah. So not to like change the subject, but yeah. uh we we have a guest on, on Ghost Divers now for the first time. <laughs> Uh, do you, are our introductions like warranted here? I don't know. Um, I don't know yeah. the etiquette. I, hi, I'm Autumn. Uh, I'm the host of Export Audio, Hot Singles, and then an Aeroplane. Uh, I guess I run this podcast network. I don't know. I don't really pay attention to things. <laughs> um, and I was talking to Nia today, and she was like, "Oh, well, Connor is playing Final Fantasy VIII. I was like, "That's my favorite game. Wouldn't it be funny if I showed up on the podcast tonight?" And Nia was like, "Yeah, sure, okay." <laughs> <laughs> So now I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is also going to be funny because listeners in like a month or two are going to listen to the first, like the intro to Evangelion, where I'm like, we're going to have our first guest on the podcast, Brad Nelson. Um, sorry, Brad. <laughs> yeah. I, I already said, yeah, I've already said long ahead of time that you had like an open invitation to be on the, the podcast. Um, I just was not expecting it to to happen during a question bucket. <laughs> I just like Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> so anyway, sh- shall we talk about Connor's non-anime thing that's also still very anime? <laughs> it it really is. It's it's such an anime video game. But, well, first, let me say, Autumn, like, thank you for joining us. It's, you know, I, I'm excited to, to meet you because um, we've, <laughs> we've never had a chance to, like, meet or talk before. Um, mm. But you have been such a generous like benefactor um hosting us on expert audio and it's free i don't know <laughs> it's well you know <laughs> no i i, 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 I just downplay everything i do that's fine <laughs> <laughs> it's it, you know i'm i'm grateful and yeah you know thank you because you know yeah thank you cool okay that's out of the way um uh-huh. <laughs> final fantasy 8 so I guess we can start with Ian's question. It seems like a good starting point. So Ian wrote in and said, I'm in the middle of an ongoing quest to play every main Final Fantasy in order, and 8 is the most recent one I completed. I played it for the first time last summer, and hot damn, what a game. The music, the aesthetic, the cast, the gameplay systems, the story, the themes, everything in Final Fantasy VIII is just going 120% at all times. Side note, Especially if you do the the like speed up mechanic that you can do in the remaster, um, it makes it go a lot faster. Um, mm-hmm, anyway, mm-hmm. very important. I emulated <laughs> it, and yeah, I I mapped the uh, fast forward to I think R three on my controller when I was emulating it. Very important. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it it, it is. Um, once you start R three, and you can't go back. You um, cannot. <laughs> um, okay, returning to to Ian's question. Everything in Final Fantasy is just going 120% at all times. The vibes are unassailable. It's funny, it's painful, it's adolescent in a way that feels almost inappropriately raw for what we'd call a AAA game today. I wish I'd had this game as a teen. There's so much love and care given to the writing around these sad teens and the culture that mistreats them. I particularly love the extreme interiority we get on Squall versus the enforced distance on Scythe. Okay, I could talk about this forever. It's become one of my favorite Final Fantasies and favorite games. I only have one very important question. Of all the main characters, let's say the six members of the party, Cypher, Idia, Sid, Ultimicia, ooh, also that monster guy under the school, 
uh, <laughs> incidentally, we were just talking about. Which ones kiss the homies goodnight? Um, oh, this is good. This is good. <laughs> so this is so first I have an embarrassing like admission to make. Um, mm-hmm. I, I read this question and I was like, I don't know what it means to kiss the homies goodnight. Um, so I looked up, <laughs> I, I looked it up on Google, of course, and um, there's like the know your meme. Um, mm-hmm. And I read that and I still really, I don't think I know like what it means still. Um, I, I will say I've not played this game. Um, Autumn, if, Autumn, if you want me to like play this game and beat this game, play and beat Chrono Cross. Um, but <laughs> apparently, I'm Renoa, and I definitely kiss the homies goodnight. So Renoa kisses the homies goodnight. I will say that. Um, Again, I have not played this game. I played like an hour of this game. I own I own the PlayStation discs of this game and have not played it. <laughs> well, so I <laughs> yeah, go, go ahead because I, I feel like I I want to answer this question. And I feel like I could, if only I knew what it means to kiss the homies goodnight. I so I consider myself a scholar of kissing the homies goodnight. Um, <laughs> Excellent. That's I, amazing. I had a minorly viral tweet, like I think it got like forty retweets, just like telling people which uh, Gundam characters you see Gundam characters specifically kiss mm. the homies goodnight. For the record, Amuro does not. Camille does not. Judo Ashta does. Um, yeah. And. I think Quest does. I, I think Quest kisses the homies goodnight. I think it's like a... I feel like Connor's learning a lot from this. <laughs> I, uh, so as I, like a UC Gundam fan. <laughs> I feel like and, I don't even know what it means yet, and I'm kind of like, yeah, like that sounds, that sounds right. So I feel like it is... I feel like kissing the homies goodnight is a sort of like post no homo like thing where it's it's got an air of no homo like we're gonna kiss each other goodnight but it's not homo but it's like it's okay if it is homo like you mean a lot to me bro and like i just want to express that you mean a lot to me and i i think i think it originated because of a tweet about a guy or maybe a reddit post about a guy Whose like friend group just like started jokingly like kissing each other goodnight, and his girlfriend was like, "This seems gay," and he's like, "No, it's not gay. We're just kissing each other goodnight because we mean a lot to each other." And like, I think it's just an affirmation of like, usually like male friendship, but like, I feel like kissing the homies goodnight can transcend maleness um, for sure. I think Renoa can definitely kiss the homies goodnight. Um, Thank you. um i think squall's arc uh i i because you haven't finished the game i'm not going to spoil much of final fantasy 8 but i don't think it'll be a spoiler to say like his arc in that game is learning to become a guy who will kiss the homies goodnight he starts off very standoffish and you know is gradually learning to be like care for other people more um who else uh, c- cowboy hat guy. What's his name? What's his name? Ir- he kisses Irvin. the homies goodnight. Irvin, Irvin. Yeah. Irvin, selfie, Zell. Zell, if that- I was gonna, like, distill kissing the homies goodnight into a person, <laughs> it would be Zell. That's it. <laughs> that's that's exactly, based on your, like, thank you for defining it. Um, based on that definition, like, my answer is undoubtedly Zell. Um, <laughs> Zell is a very like conscientious, good fellow, 
Um, yeah. Who, like, undoubtedly uh, kisses the homies goodnight. He's he's trying so hard to kiss Squall goodnight, and Squall's like, no, I need to be aloof and cool and independent, and I don't kiss the homies goodnight. Uh, Cypher does not... Um, Nord, Nord probably does not... No, Nord definitely does not kiss the homies goodnight. <laughs> Everything I know about Nord just screams, like, not kissing the homies goodnight. Nord is, like, plotting to destroy the homies while they're asleep. Yeah, Nord is like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, like, recruit the homies into my mercenary school and sell their, like, you know, sell their labor as, like, combatants for profit. So, uh, that's pretty un- uncool. I-, I think... I think the per- other person I haven't touched on yet is Kistus. I th- er, Kistus? I don't know how to say that name. I think she is the girlfriend that thinks it's weird at first, but then kind of gets in on it too. Like, I think like she comes over one time and is like, why are you all kissing each other? Good night. This is gay. And then after a few weeks is like, nah. Yeah. (laughs) She's chill. Yeah. I I could see that. Um, Yeah. So I, you know, I think we've, we've, we've thoroughly like, you know, addressed this, this uh, question, um, but yeah, I just feel this like this really feels like tailor made for me specifically. I don't. I'm so glad that you are that you are guessing right now, Autumn, because I like I looked at this question and I was like, I don't know if Connor's gonna have an answer for this. I'm gonna have to like research characters to figure out which one kisses the homies goodnight. Yeah, it's like, oh wait, here's this like internet thing. Um, yeah, Connor's going to be completely, like, befuddled. Dear um, listener, you have to remember, Connor is, like, extremely not online. That's the whole dynamic. We are the couple where I'm extremely online and Connor's extremely not online. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I I did, you know, Ian, I tried very hard. Uh, <laughs> I, I did my due diligence. I wanted to be able to answer this question. And, yes, I'm also... I'm, it, I'm thankful that that Autumn was here to to help. Um, the planets just really aligned on this one. <laughs> can I um, can I briefly broaden this question to like rope Neve into this for a second? Sure, oh, by all means. <laughs> which which Eva characters kiss each other goodnight? Kiss the homies goodnight. Oh, Misato kisses the homies goodnight, and it's not okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Misato Misato is a little. Too aggressive about needing to kiss the homies goodnight. I, um, I feel like very few. I feel like yeah. Misato and then yeah. Shinji wants to. but Yeah, Shinji he, desperately wants to kiss the homies goodnight. Kaworu kisses the homies goodnight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. Especially Maga Kaworu. Maga Kaworu is like... Like... Maga Koro kisses the homies goodnight, and it's like a little bit too aggressive, and yet everyone is down with it. Like everyone's <laughs> like, "This is fine. I'm glad that this is happening." Um, I think maybe um, I'm trying to decide if Kensuke or Kaji or not Kaji Toji. Oh, um, Ka- mm. Kaji, Kaji doesn't. Kaji's just like, yeah, I'm like, I'm a bad. Kaji Kaji does not kiss the homies goodnight, but. I think if Kensuke started kissing the homies goodnight, 
Kaji would kiss Kensuke at the very least. Would be like, I'm one of the homies that you're going to kiss, and I'm going to be kind of offended if you don't. I I think Kaji doesn't kiss the homies goodnight, but on the drive home, thinks about all the opportunities he could have had to kiss the homie. Or no, 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 not on the drive home. It's like he's leaving a funeral, and it's like, damn, I should have kissed him goodnight. Yeah. Like, <laughs> fondly thinking about, like, or, like, mournfully thinking about all the homies he didn't kiss goodnight. Uh, and then Here, he tries to force himself on Masato. <laughs> Here, here's one of the biggest things that I think is like a large division between the anime and the manga. Anime Ray never kisses the homies goodnight. No. Manga Ray in the beginning does not kiss the homies goodnight, but at the very end has a very selective pool of who is and isn't homies, but for sure kisses the homies goodnight. <laughs> yeah, I think, I guess, I guess we'll see, like, from what I remember also, of the series. And the, like, like, the very final chapter of the manga, Shinji kisses the homies goodnight. The very <laughs> final chapter, like the last chapter, kisses the homies goodnight mm-hmm. of the manga. Definitely never kisses the homies goodnight. Nobody nobody in End of Evangelion kisses the homies goodnight. No! Not even Misato. <laughs> That's a movie about how kissing the homies goodnight is disgusting. Yes. <laughs> it's so spoiler alert, Autumn. Um I feel like we're so we're recording these Ava episodes and mm-hmm. there's like there's definitely like Nia and I have This is the biggest divide we've had. For sure. On the podcast. We have, like, substantially different, like, interpretations of the, like, arc of the series, like, centered on how we read, like, the relation between, like, the quote-unquote two endings or whatever. Three endings, please. Yeah. I'm bringing the manga. (laughs) Yeah, right. The the manga, yeah. Um, But this this is something that we should just, like, revisit in our EOE episode. Yes, for because sure. We're going to be so like answering the the question of who and Ava kisses homies goodnight. I'm now I'm coming to see is <laughs> requires so much like context <laughs> from all this other shit that we're trying to work out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I so I briefly had talked to Nia about like, oh, maybe I could be on the end of Ava episode, and then I was, I. I I get mad thinking about that movie in a way that, like, I don't think would be fun. I think, like, you two being kind of divided on it would be more entertaining than me just being like, man, this movie pisses me off. <laughs> well, I th- I think that would just mean, like, I don't think anybody would have a good time with me just being <laughs> irritated. Yeah. This is also yeah. be a fun part where people listen to the Ava episode and are like, yeah, we already know you mentioned it in the Cromartie High School question bucket, but I think you're going to join for Ray Earth, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so that'll be fine. We can talk about who kisses the, the homies goodnight in Ray Earth. And I, in contrast to Ava, I think it's a lot of people. I think a lot of people in Ray Earth <laughs> kiss the homies goodnight. Yeah, like literally everyone. <laughs> yeah, most characters in Ray Earth kiss the homies goodnight. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ray Earth is going to be a, a bag of laughs. Most of the characters in Ray Earth kiss the homies goodnight, but then at the very end of the series, the the series itself says, 
but should you kiss the Gomis goodnight? And the yeah, answer is like, yes. They're like, yes, but only within the confines of marriage. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put something in the chat real quick. Um, okay. I don't know where to put this, so I'm just going to... Uh, <laughs> this is just a very important song. You, you can listen to this on air. You can listen to this after the podcast. doesn't bother me. I just feel like this... <laughs> It's a like important document um, from Sinzawa. Okay, um, good, good. I'll listen. I'll listen to it when when we're when we're done because we we have to even like we're still in the question bucket right now. Yeah, right. We gotta. Right. We haven't even talked about Final Fantasy VIII yet. Okay. Well, I mean, aside from the this, this very pressing matter of who who does the homies. Does not. Um, so Final Fantasy VIII, like to return to Ian's. Um, I, it it wasn't even like well there was a question but to, to return to Ian's comments about Final Fantasy VIII so I I too am in the me- in the middle of this like quest to play through Final Fantasy except I'm just starting at eight so it's not really like legit it's a good um, place to start though I don't know well I was eight nine ten is a great stretch of games I think I was gonna start at seven. But then I was like, mm-hmm. you know, they just remade it. And I was like, it seems like the narratives aren't really directly related. Final Fantasy people will get at me if that's not true. Um, Here, but seems- here's the thing. I, you're talking about a game that I have played. I will say, the like, I think playing Final Fantasy VII, the original, before playing the remake is actually like interesting and important because the remake is commenting on the original in interesting ways. Like, I think the so much of the what's interesting about the remake is specifically how it's relating to the original. And I'm not going to like go into more because of spoilers. I will say I tweeted about this on Locked, but I just want to say it on the podcast as someone who like grew up being on the shoujo i forums like that's like my first window into any sort of queerness really the remake has done like has done me dirty by not having yuffie at all in the first one because my ship was Aerith and yuffie and like mm-hmm. nobody mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. none of the new players of remake fucking know who yuffie is yet and so, like, the only ship that I'm seeing all the time on Twitter right now is Aerith and Tifa. And it's like, that's a fine ship. But, like, Aerith and Yuffie have a special place in my heart. But Square, if you are listening to this podcast, because I'm sure you are, um, mm. like, you still have time. Please put in this, like, try and find the fanfic that I wrote on Shoujo Eye. And just, like, put in the scene where Aerith and Yuffie, like, they go on a date together at the golden saucer and it's like really fun and cute. And then the second half of the fic is they go back to their hotel room and Aerith finger bangs Yuffie. And it's <laughs> um, yeah. It's like if you can, like you don't have to include that second part. You don't have to include the hotel room, but like, if you do, <laughs> I will love you so anywhere. much. It doesn't have to yeah. be in a hotel room. <laughs> yeah. I can be like in an alleyway, like outside of the <laughs> golden saucer. <laughs> Like, that's fine. Like, however you want to... As long as... And it has to be Aerith finger-banging Yuffie. Like, don't do it the other way around. That's not what the vibe is. That's not what the ship is. Okay? So, when I when I do eventually play the Final Fantasy VII Remake, I will... I will be thinking about this, right, throughout. Um, so, at least in my mind, this this will be present... In, in the first, like, remake part one, if that gives you any consolation. Yeah. I will uh, say, like, 
Aerith and Tifa is cute, but like Tifa's just too tradwife for me, especially in the yeah. remake. Like the I, remake I, is I like extremely tradwife. I say this as a person who like jokes about wanting to have tradwife vibes. Tifa is too tradwife in the remake. Um yeah. it's it's no, not it's it's like, not a good scene. You are very Aerith in that like when you first look at Aerith, you're like, oh, she's Tradwife, but actually she extremely is not. She's like a full-on communist. That is very mm-hmm. you. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And sure. then I'm just like I'm just like an extreme brat, so that's why I'm Yuffie. Like, I agree with you. I'm Yuffie in this situation. Yeah. yeah. This also makes sense because when I was playing the original FF7 and I think 2019, I posted, I would die for Yuffie the moment I met her, and so, yeah. <laughs> so... I now regret, like, the decision I've made um, not playing the original, like, FF7 uh, first. You know what? So the reason I played Final Fantasy VIII in 2020 was that I had tried playing Seven in 2019 and really severely bounced off it. I mm-hmm. think Eight is a much better... It, it, coming at things now, I feel like Eight is a much better, like, entree into what PS1 JRPGs are. I feel like... Uh, I've been, like, picking away at Chrono Cross very, very slowly, um, and I feel like I wouldn't, like, parse that game at all if I hadn't played 8. Um, I think 8 is a really good, like... I think uh, 8 makes a good case for what is so special about, like, this, like, time period for RPGs, and so I I think you made the right choice. Yeah, I... Good. Final Fantasy VII and, like, Chrono Trigger occupy similar, uh, similar places in my brain, of like the games that got codified so extremely into the JRPG genre that like when you go back and play them there's still stuff that's like interesting about them and yet what has come after is like so deeply indebted to it that it's no longer interesting or innovative in like the same way that Final Fantasy VIII is doing something really interesting and is like a thing that hasn't been replicated in the same way throughout the genre and yeah. Um, one thing got pulled from Chrono Cross, which was the, like, the enemy is on the field, you can see it, you run into it, that's how the fight starts, in a way that, like, Chrono Trigger gestured to, but didn't really do. Like, you couldn't, like, Mm -hmm. avoid fights in Trigger in the way that you can in Chrono Cross. And also avoiding fights in Chrono Cross is, like, very thematic to what Chrono Cross is. But, like, most JRPGs now, or, like, a lot of them, have veered away from active time battle to here's a thing with a hitbox and if you run into the hitbox and like usually it i think especially xenosaga is the one that like developed the you have to do some sort of attack or like try to hit it from behind or whatever and then you get an advantage or if they hit you like they get an advantage which is like extended on into the to the the genre now but like the battle system of chrono cross is so weird because it's like you're, like, building weird combos that involve doing physical attacks and then doing, like, magic at the end. And there's yeah. no MP. Like, you literally just build up, like, the ability to use magic from doing physical attacks. Um, and that's just a thing that hasn't, like, really happened since, except, like, kind of Xenogears did it, but not, like, as cohesively, as, I think, as Chrono Cross did. And then, like, Final Fantasy VIII just has, like, this weird gambit system that just, like... I mean, I guess... Oh, I love it so much. Like, I love it so much. I don't know if it's out yet, but, like, I know Christine loves working on some RPG that, like, 
is inspired by that stuff, but like it has not extended either. Um, and yeah, some of like what's exciting about going back to especially that era, like there's so much interesting stuff happening with JRPGs during the PlayStation one era. And there's so much like weird experimentation. And I feel like you don't get that same level anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. stuff has like codified or solidified into like, here's what turn-based stuff is like, here's what active time battle or whatever is like, and you don't like get this full breadth of just people doing weird stuff with combat systems that are like exciting and refreshing. Like I love the like Shin Megami Tensei games, but they're just like, it's just the pinnacle of like taking into account ailments and like weaknesses and stuff. Um, yeah. You and could... it's like, yeah, it like they haven't really changed the formula at all with like the Persona games and the Shin Megami, uh, Shin Megami Tensei games. They've just like refined it. Well, and I think it's an economics thing because I think in 1998, Square could pour like a shit ton of money into Final Fantasy VIII, but because game development was cheaper back then across the board, they didn't have to like bet the entire company's financial future um, on it. And so like, could make Final Fantasy VIII a little bit weird and a little bit strange in a way that, like, yo, if if Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two bombs, like, Square Enix might go bankrupt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's also um, this thing of, like, the reason why I didn't play Final Fantasy VIII is because I was playing Final Fantasy VII. I got to the part where, spoiler alert, Aerith dies. Um, <gasps> <laughs> and um, I, back then, it was actually a, like, surprising thing because the internet didn't know about it yet. Um, And I was so upset at the game that I just like, didn't play it for a month. And then I came back and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? What the fuck is going on? I don't know what to do. (laughs) And then I restarted it, but I still understood, like I still knew what I did before. And so there was a part where I thought I was supposed to go to the golden saucer, but actually I was supposed to do something else first, but I somehow Mm -hmm. managed to get my, like the little buggy that you have into golden saucer and what happens if you, like, glitch out the game where you get into Golden Saucer before you're supposed to is that you just immediately go to the prison part, but you can't talk to the person to get out. This is a glitch oh, that I've, no. I have only seen people talk about uh, with the PC version of the game, but I had it happen with the PlayStation version. Huh. And by the time that it happened, I had watched my brother beat Final Fantasy VII. I had watched my brother play all of Final Fantasy VII, and I was just like, I'm done. Like, my game, yeah. like, I saved in the prison. I can't escape the prison. Like I literally have to restart a third time and I'm just done. So yeah, I saw all yeah. of Final Fantasy seven, but I never beat it. And then that was a like around the time that I think Chrono Cross wasn't out yet, but they were talking about it in like the gaming magazines I was reading. And I was like, this sounds cool. And then we got it. And like my brother was playing it and I was playing it. And it was the first game that I beat before my brother did. And it was like, <laughs> I love this game so much. Um, and that's like specifically why I never played Final Fantasy VIII, and it's because like literally seven, eight, and nine came out like a few years within each other, as well as Chrono Cross, made by the same company. Um, they yeah. were just like churning out games in a way that they do not anymore. No. And so yeah, it was like so much easier, I think, for them to just really experiment with like what is this going to be? Um, right. Because right. they were just like churning through them so quickly. Um, in There's a way also that, like I don't even understand. Like yeah. Final Fantasy Tactics is like in the year between seven and eight, I think. Like they were just putting out so many fucking games, and like nobody makes games anymore because it's too expensive. So you make one every like eighteen months, and 
hope that it doesn't tank your company. Yeah, and you have like literally basically three different companies that are making games and just cycling through the game that you come up with every other like every 18 months. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very yeah. iterative because there is such a like need. I think autumn I think you point I mean, I think you really hit the nail on the head where it's like we can't afford to risk like our our players com- comfort zone. Because if we take mm-hmm. this risk and then they reject it, then, you know, the consequences are just too great. So we can't really, like, put people out of their comfort zone. Um, I mean, this is what yeah. happened with cinema as well, is that, like, most large movies now, like, if you watch Marvel movies, they are actually mostly, like, h- extremely expensive animated movies. There's just yeah. so much, like... There's so much that goes into making movies now that are just incredibly expensive and like again, it's like more using human beings as like props in an animated movie than it is putting in animated special effects into a live action movie. Um if you like really break down what's happening if you watch like uh any more Marvel movie basically. Um and what's like happened is that the cost of making those movies is just so high that they like stick they're, they are increasingly, I think, sticking to here's like formulas for a genre that seems to sell well and not taking experiments in the same way that if like you even go back to like the 90s, I feel like there was just way more weird movies coming out of even like what would be considered like mainstream, like this is the big blockbuster stuff. Like if you want to like lis- listen to a podcast that talks about a bunch of stuff that is like weird blockbuster stuff from the 90s that was just like bizarre that this was a big movie back then listen to swim fans i haven't mentioned them before but like friends of the pod um i'll probably have some of them on at some point so uh i watched the aragon movie today and like you could just make a bad movie in 2006 and it didn't really matter in a way that it matters now yeah (laughs) i love Dragonheart. that is a bad movie (laughs) Nora that is a big watched... budget bad movie. <laughs> I think this is the third or fourth time Nora and I have watched Aragon together. And like every time I'm like kicking and screaming like, no, it's bad. It's bad. And every time like 20 minutes in, I'm like, oh, this is great. What am I talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all I think we all have uh, have some movies like that where it's just like I watched this over and over again inexplicably. But yeah, just yeah. just skip back like an uh, an hour maybe to when I'm talking about the Dead or Alive movie, a movie yeah. that again I do not recommend most people watch because the serious content warnings. But yeah, I've watched but, that movie many times, specifically yeah. because I want to then watch Dead or Alive two, which in my mind is a true masterpiece. <laughs> so yeah, so speaking of like having to do things before doing other things. Like the the final the Final Fantasy thing, um, <laughs> yeah. I like so the re- the remake of Final Fantasy VII came out and I was like, oh yeah, this seems kind of interesting, but like me being me, and I think I've talked about this before, like on the <laughs> podcast as well, and I'm just like, okay, here's the thing that I want to play or watch, but like in order to do that, first I have to do like all of the prequel shit. Yeah, um, yeah. And so that's how I landed on 8. And and my reasoning at the time was like, well, I'll just treat, since the remake is out, I'll just treat, you know, Final Fantasy VII Remake 
or Final Fantasy 7 as like Final Fantasy 16 and just, you know, do it that way. But my thing with Final Fantasy actually goes back like quite a few years. The same friend that I was referring to, uh, Autumn, you weren't here for this bit, but mm-hmm. um, the same friend that I read Captain Underpants with all the time, he had a uh, PS1 and he was like really into Final Fantasy when we were in like elementary school. And I remember like I would be at his house and he'd be playing Final Fantasy VIII. Although like he he played like nine and ten and stuff too, and I saw all mm-hmm. that. But I was just so like captivated by this game whenever I'd see him playing it that I would literally just be like, "Hey, like, can you can I just watch you play this game?" And I would yeah. like, yeah, and I would be at school and be like, "Hey, can I come over later and watch you play like Final Fantasy?" And I think he thought it was really weird at the time because maybe it kind of is, um, <laughs> but like. So that was my first encounter with Final Fantasy. And then for, for some reason, I never, like, once I started taking more charge of my game playing life as an adult, like, I never came back to it. But I think playing it now, my, I mean, in the first instance, like, one of the interesting things about it for me is, like, my memory versus, like, my what it, my actual experience was when I started playing. I think my my memory of it was like, okay, yeah, I have this impression of Final Fantasy VII being this, like, more, like, what I would now call, like, more anime. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, fantastical, you know, like, tone and just, like, world. And my my impression of eight was like, Oh yeah. In eight, they went, it was like this much more like gritty, realistic, like quote unquote, like adult, uh, series where people like, you know, like a this guy has a gun and like, or multiple people have guns and like, there's, right. you know, mechanized like combat and shit. And now like playing Final Fantasy eight, Within the first five hours, I was like, okay, yeah, like, it kind of is that, but also, like, not at all. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, still super anime. All of that stuff is, like, a front to, like, get you into, like, the romance between Squall and Renoa and, like, Squall's character development. Uh, and it's, like, a really good, like... It's kind of like playing a trick on you where it's like, oh, we're about all this like child soldier stuff. And it is about those things. But like, it's also to hook you into like this more like touchy feely stuff, which is also like the arc that uh, Squall is going through in the game of like caring more about other people and not like his cool gun sword. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or just like being like a cool guy generally. Yeah. And like I think one of the things that I really like enjoy or like admire playing through it is well the thing that was really jarring for me when I started playing was like it's exactly as you say like there's this front of like okay, you know, we're mercenaries in this like war-torn world and you know, the main characters are these mercenaries who are like being hired and sent out to, you know, fight in in wars and stuff. And I'm like, okay, yep, I get that. Like, I I am, you know, invested in this. 
and then the dialogue is just so like jarringly adolescent um, yeah and i'm like what this is so incongruent it's just like really uh really throwing me for a loop but then i kind of like i was finally able to wrap my head around like okay yeah like the core tension here is that the game like the world of the game is such that like all this stuff is happening with the child soldiers and blah 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 but the game itself is very like good at foregrounding the fact that like oh yeah these are also just like 17 and 18 year olds and this is kind of like how 17 and 18 year olds really are Um, right 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 and we're not gonna like let you forget that they're 17 18 year olds and so you have all of this like really weird these like somewhat cringy like middle school uh early high school like you know thoughts and feelings and like you know squall being like just comically like the classic standoffish adolescent like boy Mm -hmm. And it's just, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I really There's like, a... I know we were talking about this already, but I just, I really like that. That's like the first thing that I would say about Final Fantasy VIII is how it like, this tension for me is really rich where it's like, you know, the veneer uh, of like the world and the events and everything that's going on. And then also its insistence on like making you constantly aware of the fact that like <laughs> who these characters are and like you know where they're at in life there's a really good um i think it plays its hand really well in an early section where you think they're doing a like kind of lurid kind of like creepy like intentionally like story about Kisis uh squall's yeah. teacher being like into him and then you realize she's only a year older than him yeah she's like She's the 19-year-old here. Like, they just made her a teacher because, like, this school is awful. And, like, <laughs> um, I think that's, like, a really great moment for, like, what the game is because she wants him to to see her as a 19-year-old and he's only seeing, like, you know, uh, he doesn't really see her at all in that moment. And you, the view, the play, the player, like, kind of conflicted about it, or at least I was. Um, and it's all just like, I think that there's like, I, I think it does a really lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff about like, these characters are really fucking young and are mm-hmm. being put in like really adult situations and uh, have been taught how to use swords, but not how to like, you know, have feelings. Um, which yeah. is like a, you know, I also read Naruto uh, just like 72 volumes of Naruto right around the same time I played Final Fantasy X last year. And it's just a like better, more emotional version of that same story. <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII is of Naruto, I mean. Because <laughs> yeah. Naruto is also about these things. It's a very like common story, but... the um, yeah. that, that scene, or that like episode that you're talking about... Um, by the way, I say Quistus. I don't know why, but... I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to say it. I think I say it different every time. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, I think that's like a perfect encapsulation of what, like, of, of what we're talking about, where it's like, yeah, Squall knows, like, Quistus is introduced and Squall knows her as like, you know, the way that the students collectively perceive her is like, oh, she's like, you know, 
the hot like authority figure teacher like she's like fetishized in this like you know teacher right a hot teacher thing she has a Um, whip (laughs) yeah she literally has a whip yeah um so you know that's part of that's like all part of it too and then you have this like at this moment where she's like oh squall like meet me at makeout point essentially (laughs) and like i i'll just say like i i was not conflicted about this i was like r3 like i'm getting there as fast as i can um (laughs) because like i want to see what happens um but but then you have that conversation where she's like yeah like i don't want to be a teacher anymore because this is I'm, like, one year older than you, actually. And this is, I think, the first time as a player where you're like, oh, wait, what? Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And she's like, yeah, I'd rather just be, like, going around with you as, like, your peer and your, like, friend or or whatever. And, like, yeah, exactly like you say, like, be seen by you as not this, like, I I don't want to be, you know, like, fetishized. And, like, whatever, this thing that people think about me is, like, I don't want that. Um, Mm -hmm. and the game is really interesting because it even has like, you go around and Neve, this is for you because like, I know you haven't played (laughs) Final Fantasy VIII, but the, the game like has this whole card playing like system. I I do know this part. Again, I've played like a very small amount of it. So, so basically the game teaches you early on, like it incentivizes you heavily to just go around talking to literally every NPC and trying to get them to like play cards with you. So you go around and talk to every NPC and like scattered throughout like the garden are characters who like NPCs who are literally named like Trape, like Quistus Trape being, Trape being Quistus' last name, like Trape Groupie or whatever. Yeah. And they're all just like, oh my god, like, Quistus is, like, such a hot teacher, blah, blah, blah. And it's just... My question here immediately is, does any of it veer into... So there's a, like, notorious, just, like, random NPC in the school in Persona 3, who every time you talk to her is just like, I really, really wish that Mitsuru would just, like, run over me with her bike. Um, And it's, like, a, (laughs) a female npc in the game um and it's just like this character is like excruciatingly gay for mitsuru so is there any like fans of kistis that are like just excruciatingly gay like i need to know final fantasy 8 is a game as i would describe as excruciatingly het like (laughs) i i am a person who is is want to like change her name on uh twitter to they them roxas and i can't like put together a gay reading of final fantasy 8 like there's not there's not much there as far as that goes i not I even not say, even one fangirl i will say no, no no i will say because i was just talking to them there are female like trait groupies okay uh, okay yeah like named as such like trait groupie number three and number four <laughs> Are in like the the classroom after the garden takes off. I just do, beat them. Do I just beat them, them in cards. That's why. Do I any of them specifically want her to like destroy their body in any way? <laughs> so the, yeah, I'm like the... assuming whip, but like I will accept any kind of like <laughs> physical destruction of the body. Um, no, there okay. is there's a little bit of that with like one of the male groupies, I think, where he's just like. 
he makes reference to the whip in some way. Yeah. Um, but the, I can't remember exactly what the dialogue is, but the female groupies are more just like, oh, like, Quistus is so amazing. It's like an adoration type deal instead of like a, you know, I want Quistus to punish me. Um, <laughs> I so. just to like interject because I know you both are going to talk a little bit more I am currently thinking of so like a long time ago I did a list of my OTPs described badly and for Persona 3 it's Yukari and Mitsuru and I describe it as uh, two girlfriends on a bike making out to death grips and then <laughs> I after that did my Persona 5 like OTP, which is the main character Joker, and then Makoto as uh, two girls on a bike making out to charisma.com. Um, because this mm-hmm. is also like factors into my reading of Joker as a trans character, which if they made explicit would make all of the royal content make way more sense. Um, but anyway, like that's the that's the my my two main persona ships is girls on a motorcycle making out to music um and the vibe is just is it death grips or is it charisma.com <laughs> which is like two office ladies in Japan doing hip hop <laughs> so it's unrelated to that because i can't yeah, follow that up connor um, <laughs> This, question this is the dynamic of the podcast is I just say the like gayest shit I can possibly think of and then Connor has to somehow respond to it. <laughs> yeah, it's the question bucket especially. I'm just vibing. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I that's what I train to also. Um the question bucket especially I I'm glad that I that like I got to go first this time cuz last time it was just like how do I even follow this? Um, yeah but so okay tan- tangent of my own kind of um mm-hmm. notwithstanding all of this stuff that i just said about Quistos, because i don't think this is why but if i were to like imagine you as a final fantasy character nia i, I would actually i think you're closer to Quistos than renoa as far as i've seen um just because Quistos is like yeah like i've been a teacher like i have my shit together and, like, I know I'm, like, fully capable of, like, having responsibility and being in charge of something. But also, like, I want to be, like, I also want to cut loose, like, sometimes. And I want to, like, be comfortable enough with you to the extent that I can also just, like, cut loose and not have to be, like, you know, the the GM or whatever, like, all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so, and Renoa to me, like, I don't know, there may be more in her character arc, but I just, I, I see her as like, I think she's a little like, she has less direction than like, I imagine you having. Um, yeah. Yeah. So she, I mean, I've just been informed that she's a brat. So again, I, I don't, I, I don't know these characters, but I know that I'm a brat. So <laughs> Yeah. I just noticed that we're an hour into this and we've only answered one question. <laughs> well, it's okay because we we only had you know two and we've already answered one. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I feel better. I feel better. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> so. I'll just like try and wrap up the Final Fantasy VIII stuff because I know like Autumn, you'll have comments as well, and I want to like make sure yeah. you have a chance to you know go wherever you want to go with it. 
the so the other thing that I really like about Final Fantasy VIII is like the systems. So Ian alluded to this, and like it, we kind of touched on it briefly, but the systems are very unique, and they're also frankly quite merciless in terms of how like it's a it is a game that asks a lot of you and like the systems are very complex and you are not there's like no hand holding whatsoever you're just like thrown into it yeah for sure with, with like the junctioning and like the the gifts or whatever it the gfs is, please yeah well <laughs> Yeah, my my friend back in like fourth grade always said GIF, so I'm just like, I call them in my mind their GIFs now. It's I know it's supposed it's Guardian Force, so it's like an acronym for you know yeah. whatever. But can um, can uh, I just quick? I I missed like my earlier chance. Can I quick interject with my watching friends play a Final Fantasy game in like whenever it was out, which I think yes. was high school for me. Yes, please. Do. Um, which was specifically Final Fantasy Nine, and. We got to the scene where Garnet cuts her hair and, like, becomes Dagger, and I was filled, despite the fact that at the time I thought I was a boy and I was watching a girl cut her hair, I was filled with such intense gay feelings at that exact moment that I literally (laughs) left the house and went home. (laughs) Like, I was like, I just, I need to, like, I need to go home. Like, I just, like, said I need to go home, and I just <laughs> left and went home, because in that moment, I was, like, so intensely, like, I want to be a girl who's kissing this girl, <laughs> in a way that, like, I did not confront until I was, like, literally 26 or something. That's amazing. Anyway, continue. Okay, how do I follow that? Um... Let me talk about once some... again. I say the gayest shit I can think of, and then just see how does Connor respond. Let me well. Let me respond by talking about like arcane game mechanics. Um. So yeah, Final Fantasy VIII. It for people who actually have like played, you know, Final Fantasy VIII. It, you're used to it, but they they are truly complex and difficult systems. Yeah, um, that require guidance. To the extent that, like, I I played about, I don't know, 10 hours in the game. And then I was hanging out with, like, my Final Fantasy friend, as he shall be hereafter known forever. And I was talking with him about it, and he was just like, oh, yeah, like, you're playing Final Fantasy VIII. Did you draw Siren from the Elveret? And I'm just like, um, did... Did I do what now? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he's like, "Yeah, like, oh yeah, you you missed your chance. Like, now you won't be able, now you don't have Siren, and you won't have Siren until like the final boss battle. So yeah, I guess on this playthrough, you just won't be able to junction to like magic attack, which is actually a really important thing that helps you a lot. But like, don't worry about it. You just can't do it. And I was just like, God fucking damn it." Like, I just, yeah. I had a really rough time when I started 8 because, like, I pulled up a guide and it was like, hey, so you need to go to this beach outside the school and you need to grind until you get, like, 100 of this spell. Yeah, And then you need to go and, like, do this, um, like, triple triad to get this card so that you can flip it into this card. And I was like, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. And I, like... (laughs) I, I, 
I felt like in the final dungeon, in the final two or three dungeons, I'll say, is when I finally understood like all of the mechanics of Final Fantasy VIII, and I was like, this is the greatest game ever made. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was and- like, I want to play a million games that work like this. But this is the only one, and now I've played it, and I don't know that I'm going to play it again, because if I do, I'm going to absolutely, like, make myself, like, an OCD mess of, like, all right, I have to, like, like, I have to get the RNG right on, like, this triple triad thing, and, like, I'm going to just drive myself nuts so that I can do, like, you know, nine, 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 nine damage every single turn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... I I will say, like... I I love this game and as someone who is like in many who's like kind of a masochist I really appreciate that the game does this um and it's not even like it's not even like a soulsborne thing where it's like mm-hmm. oh hey like enemies like every enemy can kill you you die really easily and dying is a massive pain in the ass so like you know watch the enemies move set like move sets very carefully and like blah blah. It's it's just like a multiplicity of all of these like semi concealed systems that you are not told about. Yes, like even to the extent it's, of like balancing your I, party. It's like okay, here's all your characters, and I'm like okay, well I feel like because I know RPGs like someone should be like a caster and someone should deal physical damage. But the game is like, yeah, pretty much everyone is like mostly good at everything, except like there is probably definitely a way you should structure it, but there's no, literally no way of knowing and just yeah. like figure it this out. This is this is make like this is a thing that's making me really want to play Final Fantasy VIII because I am notorious for like absolutely destroying the combat systems of jrpgs um the most notorious one of this that like one of my friends continues to bring up is there the final boss of xenosaga 3 is like literally a th- one of those three-part jrpg bosses where it like has a form it then like you deal enough damage that it changes into a second form and then you deal enough damage that it changes into a third form i figured out how to so i have cosmos cast a spell i have chaos cast a spell and both of those are like on Cosmos to power up in such a way that I then have Cosmos cast a summon and it dealt so much damage that it just instantly killed the boss and like it didn't go through any of its forms <laughs> because I had so thoroughly broken the game. <laughs> yeah, there's um I have watched somebody like cuz A is a game that can be just like broken wide open because they yeah. just stuffed it with so much stuff that like they couldn't think about like all the implications cuz who cares? Yeah. Uh, it's the PlayStation 1, and, like, who cares? Uh, so I have watched somebody in a YouTube video, like, do, like, like one shot the last form of the final boss um, with Renoa's dog. Um, <laughs> because Renoa's limit break is that she throws her dog at people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. There's all kinds and of weird like shit, too. That's, like, a thing too. that you can do. Yeah. It's good. But like any game, any game can be broken if you really want to, you know? Um, Yeah. And like do the research to do it. So I don't, that's something that my friend mentioned to me as well, where it's like people complain that it can be broken, but it's like, yeah, I mean, if you like. I I love that about JRPGs. I love breaking JRPGs. That's like the fun for me. (laughs) 
Yeah, but like if you know how to break it, like okay, that's fine. But then you're not like that is a way of playing the game that like whatever you can do. But as far as like what the game itself presents to you as someone who like you know coming in cold, the experience that you'll have, it it is like this, you know, that it's like extremely taxing and requires unbelievable like attention to, de- to detail to learn like the very few vague signposts that the game will give you to do certain things and there are like very yeah. few um like there no one will teach you how to spot them but like if you figure out how to spot them like then you're kind of on the on the way you know for example like every literally every single fight you start by like trying to draw magic and then if there's a magic you've never seen before like or something you've never seen before you should probably draw it just like just because um yeah and if if you like you know in the first hour of the game like if you don't do that with the first boss then you're like punished for it um (laughs) and there's like a you know so another example like diablos like a, a gif autumn is it gonna drive you crazy if i say gif i don't care i just okay. think it's funny that they have gfs in this game <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so like diablos is you know at at the very f- start of the game like the headmaster of the school now not norg the headmaster not the ceo uh-huh. um just gives you an item and it's one of those like you know like Pallet Town, here's your town map type of shit. Where he's like, hey, oh, here's this item, it's a magic lamp, like here for your gift for your journey. And the thing about this it's lamp. It's so funny. It's it, so funny. Yeah, like the thing about this lamp is it has like one of like a very small number, or not very small, but one of a limited number of gifts, like that are incredibly useful in the lamp. And you have to activate it. And if you just like are like, oh yeah, cool, thanks, Sid, and forget about it, you could just like never have this thing. Or not until the very end of the game. And it just sits in your inventory, which is what I did. Um Oh, I had the I had the reverse experience where I got it and I used it immediately and it opens you onto like the hardest boss in the game. <laughs> yeah, and just like wrecks you. Yeah. Just fucking destroys me (laughs) yeah because like and that's the other thing like so let's say you 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 actually like have the presence of mind to you know rub this lamp or whatever activate the item yeah it's just like oh yeah you're in a fucking boss fight now um and also like i'm pretty sure if you lose the boss fight you like don't get the gif no you don't yeah so you you just die so you have one shot and then also like that you can't if you just try and fight this boss like how you presumably know like how to fight at this point in the game you will lose it is almost impossible to win what you have to do is there like there's a magic that the boss has called demi and you have to draw the magic you have to be like oh i'm going to draw that magic and i'm also going to cast it on this boss just because and this is like the only thing that this boss is vulnerable to and also when you cast the magic, like not only does it do a shitload of damage, but the boss like casts cure on your whole party for some reason. And it's like 
Once you know this, you can win. <laughs> but how the fuck would you ever know this? It's so funny. Why Why would you even try, like, any of the things that would lead you to, like, figure this out? And the game is just like, yeah, here you go. You know, make, don't forget the lamp. Also, like, you have one shot at this unexpected boss fight. And also there's one way to win that, like, you just kind of have to figure out on your first go-round from this boss that's, like, one-shotting you. And it's like, what on earth is this fucking game? My my favorite, like, thing this is reminding me of is Soul Hackers, which I almost made, like, our default Ghost Divers, like, cover art based off of Soul Hackers. Uh, But it's a Shin Megami Tensei game, and there is a boss fight in there that is a dolphin with angel wings and so there's like one NPC that if you know to talk to her she's like hey and it's like a fair amount before you fight the dolphin being like hey i've heard that dolphins lie which is just a weird (laughs) a weird statement for someone to say to you but then when you fight this boss whenever you attack it it's like oh you're hurting me so much and it's lying to you when you attack with normal attacks, it heals it and you have to do healing magic against it or whatever. And then it's like, oh no, you're hurting me. And like, you just have to figure out that this dolphin lies to you and hopefully have talked to the NPC like three hours beforehand. That's like, hey, I've heard that dolphins always lie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It, that's, Soul Hackers that's... is a great game. There, everybody has uh, computers that are like in things. So your your main character has a a gun that's a computer, but then you fight people who have like a guitar that's a computer or a saxophone that's Naturally. a computer. It's <laughs> it's fantastic. I love Soul Hackers. It's like one of the best Mega Ten games. Yeah, that one's definitely going on the list. Um, but yeah, like literally every boss and. Final Fantasy that I've encountered so far is like this, where it's like, okay, you know, there's another gift called Brothers, and it's like, first of all, this dungeon, it's in a dungeon, and there is a, like, a frame where it's like a forking pathway with three, you know, pathways. Right. And in, like, the actual game map, there's, like, 20 it's plus... such bullshit. Yeah, there's, like, 20 plus, like nodes in this like maze dungeon but they all look the exact fucking same i hate it so much (laughs) and and you just have to figure it out and and then once you get there like you better hope you drew float from those enemies from the random spawn enemies in the in the dungeon um because if you didn't like you will lose that battle and you just have to be like oh yeah i i saw these enemies I knew to draw the magic float, and I guess I should use it in this battle. Uh, and if I don't, this then was I like die. the one thing that I liked about the. Um, I this was a game where like, so I think it's like important to remember with Final Fantasy VIII that like this is a time when they were selling guides, and that like mm-hmm. that was a part of how they made their money. That was the microtransaction, you know, and. I had to kind of like, I didn't have an official guide. I just had, you know, what was on GameFAQs, which was not a very good guide. But um, <laughs> you you had to kind of learn how to use it. You had to kind of like learn to ignore like, oh, well, if you want the a perfect game, you can't like 
let this person say this thing and whatever. Like, you had to just kind of toss that stuff out. But yeah. I did, like, learn to, like, all right, I'm going to go look. Like, is there a GF in here? Is there a boss in here that I'm not ready for? Like, what do I need to, like, fight it? Because I'm not going to, like, bother to, like... I th- There was, like, a limit to, like, how much puzzle solving I wanted to do because the thing I was actually interested in was just, like all the goofy shit you could do by like equipping Firaga to your physical attack. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, in and of itself is like a, an amazing mechanic, but one that is not, the game is just like, Oh yeah. Look at, you know, you can junction stuff. And mm-hmm. then it's like, you know, another thing you just have to completely figure out. Yeah. You like you just like, don't like, I just didn't realize for a long time that, like, oh, when I put better spells on this, the stat goes bigger. Because there is also very conveniently, um, like, the auto thing where you can just have it, like, spec for attack and spec for defense and spec for magic. And so, like, there was a lot of stuff that I wasn't, like, totally, like, getting because I was having it automate it. And I think it's good that you can automate it, but then, like, it's also good to, like, go in and be like, oh, actually, I want to, like, equip slow here because slow is going to have a certain effect that I need it to instead of just, like, ice, you yeah. know? Yeah, which is not at all, again, like, not at all made apparent. Um, no, not even a little bit. <laughs> that's, like, the, the greatness of... One part of the greatness of this game, though, like, as in playing through, I have a deep appreciation for it. And you do learn. Like, I... There's a gift called Carbuncle, and you draw it and then you use it and it's just like this shit is completely worthless all it does is just like cast reflect on my entire party it doesn't even drop a meteor on the enemy like all these other ones do (laughs) and like but then shortly after you get it it's like right after you fight like idia for the first time who is like a badass like magic caster and just so happens that reflect like it's it super reflects, fucking good yeah it reflects magic and it's just like oh yeah we gave you carbuncle right before edia so you're so you can use carbuncle so you don't die um and that's like the only more or less the only way to do this and yeah your point about the um this being the era of guides i think is a really is really apt because like i've i've actually had that thought playing through it just being like you know what i bet like this is they just like sold guides for this shit. I remember when they would like sell yeah. a paper guide and like that's what they're like playing to, I think. I remember going to the fucking Hastings and you could just like see like the whole like like they had a sh- the display cases of games that you would need like a to get somebody with a key to come over and help you with. And then <laughs> if you turned 180 degrees, there was like shelves and shelves of guides and like I don't know, that's just what video games were for a long time until that's not what video games were anymore. Yeah. But yeah, like, I... So, I, I don't know. I've, I've gone on about Final Fantasy VIII. I, I love how hard it is. I love the complexity of the systems. And, yeah, I mean, like you, Ian, I love the, the characters, um, the themes. Like, pretty much everything about it is just so... It's just so appealing even down to like the the one last thing I'm going I'll call out on the character thing is like Irvin Kinius he is presented as like 
this, you know, macho, like, cool sniper guy. And at this point in the game where you get him, you're like, okay, yeah, like, this is the moment where we're actually going to get the the guy who is this. Because we have all these, like, teenagers, all these, like, very emotional teenagers who we're learning are, like, not the badass mercenary soldier. And Irvin, like, shows up and he's like, yeah, I'm, you know... I'm on your team because we're doing an assassination and like, I'm, I'm the sniper guy. and I'm <laughs> super experienced so at all of this and like blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, cool. Yeah. We, we got, I got him, you know, that's that this trope has finally entered the game. And then you get to the assassination and he's like, <laughs> Oh my God. Like, I'm so fucking nervous. I can't pull the trigger. You know, I can't even aim straight. And Squall has to like, talk him down and like convince him to Squall do has this. to be a fucking person for once and he finally does it because he's like well I have to be a good soldier and that requires me to like show any emotions for once in my life and it's great <laughs> yeah and he's like okay Irvin like don't you know don't worry about it just like just just shoot and like just aim and shoot and do your best you know <laughs> and like you don't have to be perfect just do your best. And Irvin's like, okay, I can, I can do this. And then he like, you know, it's a perfect shot, which doesn't matter. Um, yeah, she just blocks it. <laughs> yeah, because it's all just a ruse anyway. Um, but yeah, anyway, so, you know, the characters are all great. There's there's a lot of, um, it's a very thoughtful, like, portrayal of, of all these characters. I would, I, okay, I feel like I'm opening a, like another, like, 10 minutes of conversation here. But like, what do you think of Laguna so far? How do you, do you like the boy? I love the boy. Yeah, I do. God, this is a whole other thing. Oh my God. This is like, I completely forgot about this. Yeah. The dreams, the dream world. Yeah. Like flashbacks. Yeah. So, um, so good. I love him. In, in addition to like, what a moron. Yes, definitely. Um, in addition to like, all of the stuff that we were just talking about with like all of this mechanical complexity in the systems and like how just, just like disorienting everything in this game is the stuff that happens in the narrative is just another whole like layer of that where you have these unexplained flashbacks where like at, I'm, I'm at a point in the game where you can probably tell me how far th- through I am. I'm like 15, 20 hours in, and I still don't know what's going on with these flashbacks. They just happen occasionally, and I'm we're just playing as different characters. Um, yeah. And in a different like timeline. And I still don't know why. <laughs> um but to answer your original question, yeah, I love Laguna. He's a uh, th- there's a lot of things I like about that about that whole storyline, but uh I, I know, like, you have thoughts on Laguna, so I'll let you weigh in first. I mean, I I have two big thoughts about Laguna, and they're basically, like... I, I, I would have to, like, spoil the entire game for you to, like, explain what's going on with the flashbacks <laughs> in Laguna, and so I won't... I just love him. He's a dumbass. Just the dumbest motherfucker in the <laughs> world. <laughs> yeah, the, um... So the scene that stands out is the scene where he's like, 
I can't remember the character's name, but um, the woman that he's like in love with or whatever. When you go to, she's like a musician, and oh yeah, you, she's great. You go to her like club where she's you know performing, and Laguna tries to talk to her, and there's like this excruciatingly horrible dialogue where he's just like he's so nervous that he can't even it it's it's truly excruciating it's it's painful it's really bad yeah in like a good way yeah oh yeah in a great it's great it's hilarious but it's just like yeah laguna's kind of a dumbass i even i see that without mm-hmm. having the whole the whole context i also like this is my last comment on that like storyline well until you say something else um but the um i like how you know you you have some of them like as soldiers and stuff um but i like how the storyline it just goes head on into like all of the depressing stuff about like oh yeah we're not soldiers anymore and now we have to rebuild our lives and figure out a way to just like live in this world somehow yeah. Um, and everyone's life is just kind of like anticlimactic and, you know, somewhat like depressing. Like Kairos is like, oh yeah, I, I have no, I'm just drifting. <laughs> like, can right. I stay here with you, Laguna? And Laguna is like, oh, I just ended up in this small town and I guess I'll just go around like fighting the monsters here. And then I can't remember the dude's name. The third guy is like, oh yeah, I heard he got a job as a prison guard. <laughs> It's like, oh, God, this is depressing. (laughs) Well, and also, like, this ends up being a clue because, like, I think after this flashback, you're in the prison dungeon uh, as the main party. Uh, It's that's a really good section because, like, I think it's like I think it's really good in this game where you're so like so like 360 degrees of like Squall's interiority to um, like have um have somebody else say what if i quit being a soldier like i could do that like i could just make a different choice with my life i don't have to like be the person like i don't just because i was a soldier doesn't mean i always have to be a soldier and that's like not something that squall can ever consider until he's literally forced to be in somebody else's shoes like that's just not something he would ever cross his mind that he could stop doing this so I, I think that's a really good part of the game. <laughs> that's actually a great point that I um, I hadn't considered. Um, I hadn't thought of it until I started saying it, and I played this game a year ago. <laughs> so, yeah, but the significance of the flashbacks for like Squall's character development, um, yeah, that's 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 great. Um, so, hey, uh, Nia, are you still here? Um, yeah, I did go pee <laughs> while you, you both were talking. But I'm <laughs> I was going to rat you out if you didn't say it. <laughs> um, I started like, to vamp I, a little bit because I was like, I don't know how long Faye is going to take to pee. Like, shit. Yeah, I, um, I'm both, like, I spear a bladder and also I'm drunk. So, yeah. Do, do we want to do my thing? <laughs> yes, we're yes. ready. The, the floor is yours. Okay. Um... Yeah, now I get to be the one who's like, how do I follow this? <laughs> um, You're welcome. So, uh, I realized when the, like, 
last discussion episode of Cromartie High School came out that I was going to have to talk about something on the podcast. And I, so like, I was reading the, the Crow High manga. I didn't make it very far uh, because then I was reading the Ava manga because we're doing Ava. Basically, like everything that I was doing with my time that was like free time stuff was just podcast stuff. Um, and I was like, wait, I have to talk about something that's like not for the podcast on the question bucket. And I really like I thought I was just going to bring an album or something because I was like, it's very easy for me to just listen to an album and talk about it on the podcast. Although I was also spending most of my free time listening to music, listening to stuff for hot singles, singles. So look forward to that singles. episode. No, that's what it's called now. That's what it's called now. <laughs> God damn it. Um, hot so, <laughs> I hope you're ready to rename your podcast. So anyway, I'm tweeting it. I'm tweeting it. Give me just a second. <laughs> Um, group chat renamed a hot thing. <laughs> anyway, um, so then I, I was talking to someone who happened to be listening to Ghost Divers while shooting estrogen into their body. And I was like, like, we were both like, this is a little on the nose. But also, <laughs> I immediately in my head thought of this like image that is burned in my mind from Gaylord Phoenix of the titular character Gaylord Phoenix like stabbing themselves in the leg with a dagger and just you like You can say it was me by the way. I don't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you you were texting me about listening to ghost divers while shooting up estrogen. <laughs> anyway, um <laughs> So yeah, but this image is like burning my <laughs> into my mind of uh again, Gaylord Phoenix like stabbing themselves in a wound that like already exists in their leg with a knife and there's just like weird geometric shapes like pouring out of their body. And I don't know if this scene in Gaylord Phoenix is actually about this, but I had a conversation with Edie Fake at one time because I've occasionally like spoken to Edie Fake at like Quimby's and at Cake in Chicago um, before he like moved. I don't think he's in Chicago anymore about the weirdness of like stabbing yourself with a needle in order to inject hormones into your body when also you have a history of self-harm and it was like a conversation that we had once. And then when I read Gaylord Phoenix, I was like, I wonder if that's what this is talking about. And so part of it is just like, oh, I should reread Gaylord Phoenix because I literally have not reread it in like many years. And also I then reached for 100 Crushes because like Gaylord Phoenix and 100 Crushes are weirdly linked in my brain for two reasons. One is that I bought them both the same year at Cake, which is the Chicago Alternative Comic Expo. But also because I think both of them are trying in some way to deal with the like messy incomprehensibility of queerness, the inadequacy of language to actually fully capture like what queerness is and what it means to people. And they take very different approaches, but like I read them both like literally back to back because I bought them at the same expo and the contrast between them has always stood out to me because Gaylord Phoenix as a comic is like so neither of them have panels in the traditional sense but they approach it in very different ways and so Gaylord Phoenix is like these very bizarre like full page images that are bodies being like 
in some ways, like, beautifully, grotesquely mangled. And it being paired with, like, weird fragments of sentences or single words. Um, Gaylord Phoenix has so many more pages than 100 Crushes. I reread both of them for this podcast. And it took me, like, two hours to read all of Gaylord Phoenix, maybe. Like, probably less than that. And it took me multiple nights to read through 100 Crushes. Because 100 Crushes is like, here is a portrait that I drew of a person. And then here are a bunch of words surrounding them. And some of those words are me, like, Alicia Lim. Like, I'm... I'm talking about the subject or my favorite parts of one of your crushes are, is the sissies section, which was originally Mm -hmm. a calendar because all of the, all of the words are actually from the person for the most part who's being depicted. And so like they let the subject like define what those words are going to be and what that conversation was going to be. I'm, I'm like still trying to like fully sort through and express like, how these two books interact for me. But I think like Gaylord Phoenix is so much of like, how do I try to visually represent what it means to be queer and what it means to be trans and to like go through this experience with your body where your body is like continually being transformed. And that this is a a form of transformation that is often for many trans people tied to like traumas that we have in our history and the ways that often accessing the the layers of like transformation that you're trying to move through involves confronting previous traumas that you had um, and like the weird tension that exists there and the way that it manifests is like here here are these like bizarre sometimes incomprehensible images that are pointing towards like impossible geometries um, that are pointing towards like all these strange things and then Alicia Lim's approach is how do I like portray these queer people and how do I portray these queer terms like butch, sissy, so forth? Like those are are two of the big ones that get featured, but um, there's also like the illustrated gentleman, which is how do we contextualize what it means for especially like queer people of color and a queer like trans mask people of color to try to access like men's fashion as a thing that is defined as being like expensive suits and, like, what does that mean for a black, like, trans mask person to try and go to an expensive clothing store and buy a men's suit? And so all of these are, like, like I think Sissies is the most powerful because it is, it, it allows the subject to speak the most out of any of the the various chapters. So One Hundred Crushes is actually a collection of, like, multiple comics that Alicia Lim did over, like, the course of five years. And so the first one that's featured is 100 Butches, but then there's also like Sissies. Um, there is, I'm going to like quick pull it up because I always forget it's a, it's a more extended title. Um, I'm like literally flipping through it right now. <laughs> um, oh, I accidentally went back to Sissies. The Hong Moon Lesbians of the Sacred Heart is the, the full title of that one. Um, there's also one called Jealousy, which like closes it out and, um, for various reasons, hit me very hard this time. But, like, <laughs> so much of what 100 Crushes is to me is, like, let us, like, let me as a, a comic maker portray people and try to give space for the different conflicting meanings that, like, 
Butch can mean so such different things to different people. One of the the featured like butches in one of your crushes specifically talks about how butch is a term that is primarily used in like white lesbian spaces, and that actually in black lesbian spaces, um, it's like entirely different terminology that's used, and one of them is like active and passive, and that going from being active to being seen as butch actually felt like a like denial of some sort of agency that previously existed. And so, so much of it is just like, how do all these conflicting forms of the way that people talk about queerness and also Alicia Lim being like a non-binary person who is an immigrant to the U S and is an Asian American is like filtering it through this like very not, white queer experience that I think is the dominant thing that a lot of people see and like really breaking down like there there are parts in sissies where the person is talking about like hell yeah I'm a sissy this is what it means to be sissy it's great I love being sissy and then there's someone being like I don't fucking understand why anyone would want to be sissy this is like the thing that was used to deride me when I was a child I'm not a sissy like this doesn't describe me and having the like these people speaking and the contrast and the clashes between like, what are people even talking about? What are they even saying? How are they using this language? And how is this language like inadequate at fully capturing the experience that all those people are having? Um, and then pairing it again with Gaylord Phoenix, which is such like words show up. And often the words are like even harder to understand the image when the words show up. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in these ways, like that both of them are like so tied up into trying to express something that is just like messy and is at the limits of what is like what is language able to even do to express queerness and taking such different approaches where again, Gaylord Phoenix is like, I'm going to eschew language as much as possible or I'm only going to bring it in to complicate things. And then one of your crushes being like, I'm going to specifically focus on language, but I'm going to like constantly have it in conflict with other things that other people are saying. So yeah, the part of it was just like, I wanted to revisit these. I love them both. This is like my main takeaway. The other thing is that I was just like, I literally bought these the year that I came out as trans. And so there's like this weird revisiting of that and especially revisiting of it now, like, Gaylord Phoenix hit me back then, but it hits me even harder now that I have taken hormones and I have tits. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, the weird transformations of the body that happened there, like, hit me more directly than it did the first time that I read it. Because now I've, like, watched my vo- my body transform and become something different. And also, like, pointed towards... Like, this might be a time for me to finally read Ian's email about uh, Gaylord Phoenix specifically. I'll I'll just read it here. Uh, Starts out with, I'm going to spoil the last page of Gaylord Phoenix. So um, if anyone's planning to read it, spoilers, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Ian says, I wrestled with Gaylord Phoenix early on. It was just a little too abstract and occasionally harder to parse than I was comfortable with to easily follow it, especially early on. But the deeper I got, the more it sucked me in. Until by the end, I was fully enraptured, turning pages almost as fast as I was able to read them. The momentum of the book pushing me towards those final ecstatic moments. I'm going to like take an aside here and be like, I think that this is very much what Gaylord Phoenix is trying to do. There's a certain point at which you like, you understand, you don't 
you wouldn't be able to fully explain to someone what's happening in Gaylord Phoenix, and yet it has taught you like a different language that is not English that you are now starting to understand, where you're like, oh, I know what like I I don't know if I could put into words what this specific shape means, but I now have some sort of understanding of how it relates to the rest of the story, and I am like perceiving that and I am now understanding the story in this way that like alludes in an easy way for me to then translate it into some sort of like English. Oh, here's what happens. This character does X and then does Y. You're just like, Oh, whenever this shape shows up, it's like tied to this character in this way that I'm now like latching onto and understanding in some way that like is beyond just normal language, which I think is like one of the most beautiful and most powerful parts of, of this comic or graphic novel or whatever the fuck you want to call it so mm-hmm. i get like the experience that ian hap here i think is the intended experience and is like what is part of so meaningful here is that you start being like i can't fucking understand any of this and by the end you're like god it's so great to be queer <laughs> um, <laughs> like that's the, like that's the whole point of it but anyway as someone who's feeling Uh, Going back to the email, as someone who is feeling very good about my gender identity at the moment, but extremely unclear about how my physical body, uh, my physical meat body fits into that self-conception, fake's world of intense, grotesque beauty, and importantly, I think, progressive and unceasing transformations felt, I don't know, hopeful. It felt something for sure. The depiction of this wound on Phoenix's leg as this thing that persists, that is both a font for trauma, an instigator of evil within them, and ultimately a way to remember our history and memorialize who we were, even as we become something else. There's so much stuff in the book. The stuff I wrote here is like 1% of everything it's got swirling around in my head. I feel like the book put me in a trance. Every beat of it felt super hard. At the end, the experience, I felt euphoric. Someday I too hope to hold my own and partake of who I am, which is like the final page of this. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, it is like this very, it is a very euphoric book. It's a very interesting book. It's a very complex book. There are things in it that like strike me even harder now knowing Edie to some degree as like a person that I interacted with as someone who once was slightly more involved in queer alt comic scenes than I am now. And, like, knowing them as a trans mask person and that Gaylord Phoenix is depicted as someone who, like, originally has this weird penis-like cylinder coming out of their body that that is then, like, lost, is, like, regained, then has too many of them, then loses again, then, like, <laughs> regains in weird ways. That, like, the ultimate ideal that Gaylord Phoenix is reaching for is to have, like, some sort of strange void between their legs that is, like, incomprehensible. All of this stuff is, like... It, it hits me even harder when I'm reading it now because of the the weirdness. Like I have a a deeper feeling and understanding of like. So I also did a a mix that I think I actually sent to you, Autumn, called Body Horror Ode to the Final Girl. I may not have, but it was like a. a I don't think so. I can send it to you. <laughs> it's yeah. so it's this playlist that I made, and it is specifically about like the the key concept of it was. This idea of, like, if I ever made a horror movie, it would be a horror movie that is about the main character, like, going through weird body horror transformations and that they are the monster, but they are also the final girl. Like, they are the one character who survives at the end. And that, like, it is specifically surviving the process of turning into a monster and, like, 
destroying everyone in your life and yet like trying to move past it. And I feel like that's what Gaylord Phoenix is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. and so when i did that i actually made like a fake cd booklet for the mix and i used art from gaylord phoenix to illustrate it because i was like this is like so thematically similar so and it like it's ultimately pointing towards this like there's so much trauma that you're pushing through and that you're coming through to like some sort of euphoric conclusion at the end of it all and you're like coming through some weird transformation where the end conclusion is that like actually the monstrous is good and that like the thing that made you a monster like that the people that you had to destroy in your life are people who actually had to be destroyed because like what you are is actually good and that like being a monster is good which Gaylord Phoenix isn't quite as much touch on but is like also a thing happening in there to some degree so yeah this is a lot of rambling thoughts I don't know if anyone has like questions from you before I continue <laughs> <laughs> Now taking questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but like, uh, um, not questions, but it just like hit on something for me just because like for Hot Singles, I've been rereading um, Transformer by Ezra Furman, which is about Lou Reed's album Transformer. And it's been such a weird thing to revisit because the last time I was reading it was like Christmas of 2017. And I'm like, Literally, like, reading it in between, like, screaming, crying fights with my mom, where she's, like, uh, deeply upset about me being trans and, like, all, yeah. all this stuff. And so, like, it's gl- I'm glad to know that we're both, like, just rereading <laughs> books from the year that we came out and, like, having feelings about it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny that... So, I've also been reading Transformer for Hot Singles, mm-hmm. and one thing that struck me is there's a part in both Transformer where Lou Reed, I forget if it's specifically Lou Reed or someone else that's like being quoted, talks about being called both a dyke and a fag. And that that Mm -hmm. also shows up in one of the like interviews that shows up. And I think the 100 butches section of 100 crushes as just this, like in my mind, fag has always been like a definition of some sort of failed manhood and reading both of those. I was like, it must have meant something different, like, 20 years ago. Because, like, yeah. both Lou, Lou Reed and Alicia Lim are, like, older queers than I am. <laughs> and I am also <laughs> acknowledging that at this point, I am, like, an older queer com- compared to a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, that specifically struck me that, like, that is a word that a lot of, like, lesbians might have feelings about in a way... I. This is a podcast that's like, if you think that I, as a trans woman, is not allowed to say fag because it specifically means gay man, like, you don't understand the history of the word fag. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I found out that both reading Transformer and also 100 Crushes, that even my understanding of the term is, like, more narrow than I think historically it is meant. Um, Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, lots of thoughts. (laughs) I can't believe that before I go on hot singles and say fag a hundred times i'm doing it on ghost divers <laughs> yeah yeah well, no this yeah. is like the thing it's, it's not exactly... you brought me on the podcast to talk about i think right <laughs> yeah just talk about final fantasy 8 and make it faggoty i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it's not exactly unprecedented for ghost divers um yeah i mean i think as far as like my comment is not a question, but just an observation. And 
you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, like I haven't read Gilbert Phoenix or 100 Crushes and I don't have any particular particular insight into yeah. the things you missed this trying. autumn. Connor was like, I'm assuming autumn has. And I'm like, what? You think all queer people read all queer comics? <laughs> no. Well, we already we already had it out there about that. So, um, Autumn, if you want to hear that conversation, then, you know, listen to the question bucket, uh, the final episode. Um, you don't have to antagonize him like this. I am so, yeah, I am so, like, embattled. It's, just a preview just, of what Rayoth is going to be like, Connor. It's just, uh, it's so, it's so exhausting and I can't even, I can't handle it. Um. This so, is the price that you pay for being Export Audio's token sis dude. <laughs> um, yeah. It. Um, so I mean, if it wasn't if it wasn't clear, like I'm joking. But uh, funny anecdote before I get to my my comment. Um, funny anecdote about being, in this case, like token cis white dude. Um, just because I haven't, I don't think I've told this story on the on the podcast yet. Uh, Nia, you probably know what story I'm about to tell. So we do autumn. You may, you may or may not know Nia and I and a group of our friends. We do like tabletop RPG stuff. The discord Mm -hmm. we are currently recording this in is the discord for that. Yeah. I was curious. I was like, okay, whatever. I don't know what this is. This is just like (laughs) what we name our discord for our friends group. It's an Mm -hmm. inside joke, but so yeah, we do tabletop RPG stuff and we're currently on a campaign that is like what this discord is for but we had a prayer campaign that we were playing in like 2018 2019 i guess and it was like a you know cyberpunk like future thing and my character before you say how the character's name is pronounced can i please send it to the chat so autumn can see it and then have you say how it's pronounced yes yes please do okay okay it's amazing. Okay. To, it's amazing to me that you still remember how to pronounce how to spell that correctly. Um, I, I really I love you for that. Um, but uh, so yeah, so my my like funny joke to myself when I was doing my character creation was that my character's name was this, and the way you pronounced Autumn, it was yeah. Autumn, how do you pronounce this? How would you say this? Uh, I. <laughs> <laughs> I... This is entrapment. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not even taking a swing at that. I'm gonna be real with you. <laughs> yeah, we just we, we're setting you up to fail here. It's really yeah. unfair. Um, well, when you hear the actual pronunciation, it'll all make sense. Um, so yeah, my joke to like for like myself and everyone in the campaign was that my character's name was going to be this, but the way it was pronounced is Justin Timberlake. <laughs> so like my character like my character was named justin timberlake like you know throughout this campaign um and again i only did it as like a joke you know to make everyone happy because they thought it would you know be bring mirth and levity to the you know campaign um Mm -hmm. But so this, we did get this... some very good scenes with a doctor telling you that you needed to listen to Beastie Boys, who uh, <laughs> Justin Timberlake was a member of. Yeah, it was like a distant future that was somehow related to our current 
We were just yeah. like throwing in shit from our like current real timeline as like yeah, the name of the bar that they all hung out at was Margaritaville because nobody knew how to pronounce margarita anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Margaritaville. Um, wasted away again. Um, so, okay, yeah. So throughout the campaign, like, you know, my character's named Justin Timberlake. And a lot of us, like, we didn't necessarily know each other before the campaign, so this was like how we all became friends and it was a very long campaign. So we got like, you know, we all got pretty close and, but like us in the campaign and then us as friends was so like conjoined that sometimes we would just refer to each other as like our character's name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, fast forward to like a year and a half into the campaign and we were, uh, one of our group members had a party at, at her house and my girlfriend was like visiting me at the time. And, you know, I, I brought my girlfriend to this party and, uh, you know, we were all hanging out and I didn't even notice it, but like people were just, some people were calling me like Justin. Um, <laughs> and then like, uh-huh. and then after, <laughs> after the party, <laughs> My girlfriend was like, um, are they like, were they calling you Justin Timberlake because you're like the like, like straight cis guy in the group? Is that like, is that the joke? So, yeah, so that was a fun conversation. You, you've always been our token cis straight white dude yeah so when you when you told me that uh you know that i'm now the token like cis straight white dude on export audio you know i it doesn't I did the inventory you. in my head and i think you're the only cis person who's ever been on a podcast on export <laughs> like any export show that's well <laughs> yeah that's that's uh I honestly I don't really uh <laughs> like I don't really know what to say to that. Um I'm I'm not I'm not too floored I'm not too floored by that. Um but if but if I was if I was pressed for comment, I would say like I'm grateful to be here. <laughs> Sometimes we gotta look out for the the little cis people. You know, they're so underrepresented. Um, we just, it's like it's nice to have your perspective. You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's so scarce. Yeah. It's... So anyway, <laughs> you had you had thoughts about the queer alt comics I brought. <laughs> yeah, I've just like pitifully attempting to you know engage. Now, following from this, this is like is probably actually a terrible idea. Following from the conversation mm-hmm, we mm-hmm, just had, mm-hmm. but I guess if you know, to offer like one comment, the way that you were describing the interrelation of those two things, um, what stood out to me again, like not having read them, but it seems like one of the things that's striking is that Gaylord Phoenix, like as you talked about, is trying to present maybe this like 
state this like constant transformation or like the you know fragmented or like open you know state of bodies uh like in this process whereas like the way you're describing 100 crushes it seems like it's taking the opposite perspective of like instead of presenting people in like like this aspect of the experience where it is like you know fragmentary and like constantly in flux we're instead trying to like present people in their wholeness so yeah yeah. and and then like and instead bringing the ambiguity in the like conflicts between people in their wholeness or like the different ways that those those forms like clash against each other um when like put side by side of like here's a page with this person here's a page with this other person and like how are they talking about the same thing but in different ways hegelian dialectics (laughs) (laughs) oh boy um Um, that's a whole other episode yeah uh i guess i'll continue reading ian's email that we're like halfway through right now Um, Oh, shit. (laughs) So anyway, Ian says, anyway, I'm sure there will be healthy discussion of the content of the book, and I just got to read it last night, and I'm still very much processing. Lots to chew on there. So my questions are about all all comics in general. Where do I get my hands on these bad boys? Because, like, I managed to find the Secret Acres collection of Gaylord Phoenix on Amazon, but, you know, I'd prefer not to shop there if I can help it. Yeah, fuck Amazon. Um... And I couldn't find issue seven or eight or a hundred crushes in print anywhere. But I also don't know where to look other than like the publisher website and big bookstores. Am I just out of luck on these if we missed the boat around the time of original publication? So I did some digging here. I They are hard, hard to find. And I think this is like one of the natures of a lot of alt comics is sometimes those reprints, if it's like, if it gets big enough, but especially some of the most interesting queer alt comic stuff is just like never going to be big enough on like um, in a mainstream audience to have a bunch of reprints in my experience. And so I think the best bet here is libraries. People love to forget about libraries, but they are very rad places. Um, Mm -hmm. And like most libraries are connected to this thing called WorldCat, where even if it's not at your library, you can still request it and get it through like another library and they will like literally send it to your library for you to, to like get it and read it. And especially for something like queer comics where you can like easily read it within a week. Honestly, I think this is like a great approach. And again, libraries are rad. If someone suggested libraries right now and they didn't already exist, like no one would fucking fund them because they're too fucking communist and like weird (laughs) as like a concept. But yeah, go to libraries, check out WorldCat. I'm a, I'm a big libraries person. Um, I like. I had a really hard time in college, and the Lawrence Public Library is like largely responsible for giving me any sort of space where I felt safe uh, through that time. And there's just like a lot of stuff that libraries do that like people don't know about. It. Yeah. I have felt like pretty uniquely unmoored this like the last two i guess almost three years now living in st louis where i have never like found a library that like i felt comfy in so like people should go to their the reason the public libraries in st louis are bad is because they don't get funding because people don't go to them people should go to their public libraries and like you know agitate their you know city councilors to dump more money into them they're important yeah um so yeah i think that's my my big thing is like 
libraries they're cool <laughs> support yeah. libraries uh, yeah you don't necessarily need to own it i mean i'm glad that i own both of these books because i love them a lot but like it's still cool you, you can go read it it's awesome yeah um the other question here is, how do I found a, find out about cool queer and alt comics in general? I've been desperate to find more stuff like this, and I just don't know where to look for it. Google is useless. Nobody writes about things that aren't like superheroes or already popular creators, image, sci-fi books. And I don't know where the cool indie people are on Twitter or whatever. Please give the hot racks or some names blogs to follow if you've got them. Um, this is one where like I can I can list some cool queer people that I follow. Um, one so like one person I'm gonna say is someone who's in our campaign and is a friend of ours. But Jesse Sabarsky does like especially if you kind of like queer like young adult style stuff. Does some some rad comics in that space. There's also like somebody who I've recently gotten into is I am sorry if I'm going to like butcher this name because I I am not good with italian names but i think it's tess silipoti s-c-i-l-i-p-o-t-i she had a a comic a little bit ago about like it was specifically about like banking sperm when you were trans like when you're a trans woman and like thinking about possibilities of having kids someday and it like hit me very hard even as someone who now has a kid and i think like She's doing interesting work. Um, I'm totally drawing a blank because I like whoever. I don't think she does too much comic stuff, but the Mia, who I don't remember her last name, but she does like she's worst girl games. She did designed the um, I've never done drugs, not even beer. I don't or I've never even heard of sex sweatshirt that I own. That's like one of my favorite articles of clothing. But I also feel like if you like followed her and paid attention to stuff that she was doing, you also might find other people who are like in her orbit. I'm like pulling up Twitter names here. So Tess is gay Moomin, Moomin, like the comic character. And then let me just like double check on Mia. Um, I should know this. I feel like I should know her at, but I yeah, don't. I also don't. And I like feel incredibly dumb. Also, I'm searching Mia and she must have like changed her username. to something Yeah, that's it's not her name. Huh, um, I'm trying I mean, to I, like. I follow her unlocked. Let me find this. <laughs> um, do do do. I part of why I follow her unlocked is she's like the only other person I know in the world who knows about Zawawa, who's a Dojin artist who just draws like a bunch of very sweet Yuri porn, where one of the characters just happens to be <sighs> trans, and it's like extremely mighty Adam, um, extremely my vibe. But yeah, at Mighty Adam is Mia. Yeah, I mean, there are like... the, the my, my big answer here is... So, like, especially with the COVID pandemic stuff, I've actually been, like, feeling particularly unmoored from a lot of the queer comic alt spaces. Because every year I go to Cake, which I mentioned earlier. Um, it's the Chicago Alternative Comics Expo. Um, they spell it C-A-K-E, like the food that you eat, even though... They don't spell comics with a K, um, but it's like there are a number of expos around. Like I know TCAF in particular, I think has more alt comic stuff. The one thing is that like you kind of have to like look into is this a super like Marvel-y Comic-Con style thing or is this like an actual alt comics yeah. expo? Um, but if you can if you can find one and like even just go there like 
one year and just really go around and like look at a bunch of comics and you know maybe chat to some of the people who seem friendlier it really varies comics people can be really like off-putting sometimes it's fine just read the vibe do they actually want to talk to you or not um and like i i feel like you will find people that way and then once you find those people and you're like oh this comic like really appealed to me i bought it i read it i'm connecting with it and then like follow them on twitter and see who else they're talking to and who else they're like talking about and that's just like that's how i got into queer alt comics because like you go to like the lambda award stuff and you'll you'll find some stuff but you're not gonna like you know, 100 Crushes, I think, was nominated. So, like, you'll sometimes find these interesting things. But I feel like if you especially want to get, like, what is the current scene? Who are the people who are, like, on the edge of this? It's really going to be expos where you're going to start finding it. And you're going to start finding, like, the people who are doing stuff you find interesting and being able to follow them. Um, and mm-hmm. that's, I feel kind of bad saying the answer because, again, there's, like, a pandemic right now. But I don't know what else to say because that's how I got into this. And I don't, like... I haven't seen good blogs for this. I I just haven't. Yeah, no. I so I used to be like a big like Marvel person and like have been have basically spent like three years like maybe I don't like comics anymore because I don't like Marvel comics because they suck. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, when you don't like, I think it's hard to overstate how much like comics is like a very like kind of like physical thing like so much of the comics economy is about going to cons and like a lot of people are like really hurting this year because of like the pandemic but like that was just how everything worked was you just went to cons and you just found random shit like even if you like superhero comics like you're not going to know about like copra unless you're going to cons or like listening to like the two podcasts that are talking about it like there might be podcasts about this, but like they're the they're hosted by like people who are just as small as export is, and like only our friends are listening to this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. The other the other place that I go to sometimes with Chicago is Chicago Zine Fest, and if you can find any like expo or con that is like willing to mention zines, it's probably like the right track. Um. <laughs> Because a lot of the stuff also happens in, like... Like, zine culture still exists. Everyone thinks about, like, Riot Girl stuff. But, like, there are still people making zines. I made a zine. You can go to my itch, like, foxbomb.itch.io. It's a poetry zine. You can go buy it there. One of those poems I still I also like. have made a poetry zine on itch, but you can't. People should not go find that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have mixed feelings. I might send it to you, Nia. I might send it okay. to you. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about... There's one poem in that book, like in that that zine that I don't like. There's four poems in them, and one of them I'm just like, I don't like this poem anymore. But Guanyin is like still one of my favorite things I've ever written, and I know I've sent that to you, Autumn. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and it's like it's one of those things where it's like zines are really cool and they're like very small and like that's part of the appeal but then there's also this like weird inaccessibility of if you're not there where like the zine is, you're never gonna find it. Like, cause it's, yeah. it's just so small. And the thing that was like wireless to me is when I was looking into this, like, oh, let me see if I can find 100 crushes. The places where I could find where you could buy it was like people selling it for hundreds of dollars. And I'm like, I bought this for like 15 bucks or something. Like what the fuck? 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It yeah, and that's like like it being sold for that much feels antithetical to me about like what something like this is even supposed to be in the first place, and it's also why I'm just like if there is something that you want to find and it's like out of print, go to libraries because that feels more in line with like the spirit of what these things are supposed to be than going on Amazon and spending like spending hundreds of dollars to buy and own some out of print comic. Like, I don't think that's what a hundred crushes is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a weird kind of disjointed thing about all the like different ways that you have feelings about the other queer people in your life. And again, like, it feels very poignant to me that the very last part of one of your crushes is specifically about the three times in their life that Alicia felt jealous about someone else because the rest of the book is them like chronicling every like queer person they've ever met that they felt like weird feelings about. And then just being like, and then also this happened with like my partners in these ways. So it's a very like messy gay poly book in a way that, hit me particularly strong right now for reasons i won't get into uh do we want to wrap this podcast (laughs) yeah i think uh we're at our um we're at our customary uh i've recorded four hours of podcasts today what the fuck and three and a half is (laughs) is a ghost divers oh well i guess i guess you haven't been the whole the whole time yeah so yeah this is two hours and then the hot singles that i did today which was just a bonus podcast it wasn't like a real episode was also two hours (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah we're we're gonna go so long when we record hot singles i'm I'm sorry this is why we can't do it this week because this week i they changed my schedule so that i have to be up at 5 a.m every day and i'm like I can't do that because we're going to start recording at eight and I I can't be up till midnight. So we have yeah. to like push it a week. <laughs> um, so in the interest of <laughs> um, not completely running you into the ground, Autumn, because I know uh, <laughs> Neve and I, we've, we've gone four hours before and like, I we went last four and a half decade. once. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. And, uh, yeah, it's it. Once you hit that four hour mark, it starts. Um, you start feeling it. So yeah, it's um, it's truly the Tarkovsky mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. That's when you start to you know, that's you're you're like fatigue hallucinating enough to where you actually understand Tarkovsky, or at least you think you do. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, um, rapping. Uh, yeah, yeah, you normally you normally do this, right? Yeah. Um so thank you for listening to this very on like focused, like not weird ta- tangents episode of Ghost Divers. Um feel free to check out the intro to Mobile Suit Gundam the 08th MS team that's also in the feed like the same day. If you are like I want to write in an email to Ghost Divers Pod and have them talk for multiple hours about it. You can write in to ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. This is weird because I now get to say it to you directly, Autumn. Thank you, Export Audio Network, for hosting our podcast. Uh, people can go to exportaud.io or patreon.com slash exportaudio. I don't fuck it up anymore when I try and say exportaud.io. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and then we can just 
So you can follow the podcast at Ghost Divers Pod. You can follow me at Fox Mom Nia. Connor, where can people follow you? You can follow me at Rebelaze uh, uh, on, on Twitter because, you know, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. See all of your great tweets there. Yeah. Um, and then Autumn, where can people find you? Anything you want to plug? Uh, usually I do this like very off the cuff because I just assume that people know me if they listen to a whole podcast, but people might not know me if they're listening to this. So you can find me, uh, on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Uh, I've got a pinned tweet there that will take you to all my other podcasts, hot singles, which Nia will be on very soon. Um, export audio, which I do with my wife, Nora, and then an aeroplane, which is, uh, a studio Ghibli podcast that will... Thank Christ, be ending soon. Em and I are so tired of talking about Ghibli movies. <laughs> we love podcasting together, but we are so totally apathetic towards the con, like toward Hayao Miyazaki specifically, and <laughs> um, and Ars Arcadum, which is currently on hiatus. But uh, my wife Nora and our friend Mark. Uh, we talk about Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere series of books, and if you like, if you like very put upon men thinking about how hard it is to be the king, then like, Ars Arcanum's a good podcast. Also, if you like, uh, only if you trans like people, <laughs> if you like three trans like Leninists thinking way too much about agriculture, that is also a great podcast for you. <laughs> um yeah that's me <laughs> all right well um, um and then uh i think we we thanked export audio but thank you autumn for coming on and bullshitting with me about final fantasy 8 uh and, it was a uh, lot of fun well that's good because you're committed to a whole uh <laughs> to a whole ray earth cycle with us now, oh i did so. that in a homosexual flight of fancy that's not that's not a problem. I, okay. I do that all the time. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> well, I'm glad I got to be there for that. So um, I, I'll see I you then. I committed to so many podcasts. It's not a big deal at this point. <laughs> so anyway, well. if you if you want to, uh, you can go to at Garfred aloud and watch me read Garfield aloud into a camera every single day. Um, and yeah. I'm currently wearing a shirt that says MILF, man, I love phlebotoming. Um, this is a joke that I made. Uh, I mentioned this earlier on the podcast, but you weren't here, Autumn. Um, it's a joke that I made on Locked. I actually specifically made it just to make you laugh. And uh, then another friend of mine, Cyborg, who's written into the podcast before, thought it was very funny and took it upon themselves to make it into an actual real shirt that is sold uh, by the Reykjavik Grapevine, which is a newspaper in Iceland. So, a newspaper in Iceland is now selling a joke that I made while half asleep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you can go to shop.grapevine.is, and I think right now, if you just, like, scroll down to the shirt section, it's just, like, the first one there, because it's the newest. But if you can't I find would... it, just search MILF, and you'll find yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I did, is, is I, I couldn't find it, and so I typed in MILF in the search bar, and it came up pretty quick. Yeah, um, and I mentioned this in part because one, it's just wild to me that a joke that I made is a real shirt that I'm now wearing on my flesh body, but also like I'm considering this to be official ghost divers merch, even though it's like 
not official, but in my mind, it's official Ghost Divers merch. So if you're a fan of Ghost Divers, uh, buy this MILF shirt and wear it with pride. Um. <laughs> so I know we're wrapping, but since you talked about Ghost Divers merch, I have to throw this out there and we'll see what the reception is and maybe we'll create it. But like, I really want... I've been thinking about this a lot recently, just so you know. Like, I think I really just want, like, a Ghost Divers, first of all, like, a Ghost Divers, like, band photo in the style of those, like, 2000s, like, you know, Christian metalcore, like, band or whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Where we're just, uh-huh, like, yeah, in a uh-huh. desolate field, like, standing side, you know, side by side, looking like, you know... Uh, in the detached manner, like, but still into the camera um, with, like, an Instagram filter on it. And then, like, our, you know, Christian Melkor band name, like, some, like, fucking, like, martyred conscience or something. Um, and then, you know, like, superimposed on it. Um, so that's my idea for Ghost Divers. But the name wouldn't be Martyred <laughs> Conscience. It would be Ghost Divers. But the band photo would be the same in that style. Um, and we could do it, whatever with it, with t-shirts or, you know, stickers Mugs. people can put on the car. This is, yeah. this is deep lore, but if there's ever export audio merch, it will, pr- for the podcast, not the network, it will probably be a screenshot of a custom mug that says there will never be a fascist in the earth kingdom printed on a t-shirt. <laughs> Because one time on air, I was like, what would it cost to get a bunch of mugs that say there will never be a fascist in the Earth Kingdom printed? And the answer was a lot of money. Uh, And so then I was like, well, what would it cost to get a screenshot of this mug put on a T-shirt? And the answer is not very much money. Um, the final thing here, I've decided that like the question bucket episodes are where I'm going to really plug other podcasts. Cause otherwise it feels weird being like, you should listen to this podcast and then the episode not coming out for like three months. Um, but yeah, the one I'm going to plug here is the war in our stars, which is a podcast that your wife, Nora does that is currently reading the X-Wing books. <clears throat> it's like, I will, I will EU. be on that next week to talk about the back to war. Uh, they call it that because they're going back to war. <laughs> I, um, tell, I can't. I'm not getting tired of this joke. It's so good. Yeah, it's a good joke. I still laugh at it. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's a great podcast. I've really been enjoying it, and it's like a new one on the network. Go check it out. I guess that's it. Yeah, I guess so. Bye. <laughs> Bye, everyone. See you no next time. No podcasts have sign-offs. Sign-offs are so 2019. Oh, wait, 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 wait. The the unofficial sign-off for Ghost Divers. Remember, if you're not really our friends... Or no, wait. Remember, if you're not our friend, you're not really our friends. I got it. I got there. <laughs> Good night, everybody. What a dumb podcast. <laughs> Thank you. This goes out to all my homies. Yeah, no matter the day, my homie be there. Be a rain or shine, be a circle or square. McDonald's, he know, he always come through. My homie see me for me, yeah, he know that I'm true. Tootie be tempting me, but my homie. 
erase my internal climate I can't even begin to describe it My shoulder to cry on My homie we spoon Caresses my cheek He hold my hand in the bathroom No room for the weak Always show me memes Take a deep from my homie You know man so to speak Give him the V-Bucks In exchange for the good suck Grab my account on Fortnite And kiss up my homie goodnight Kiss your homies baby Uh, should we do a clap so I can yeah. make yeah. sure stuff is synced correctly? Time.is. Okay. Let me open time.is back everyone up. Everyone remember to refresh time.is if it's been sitting. I, I just, uh, I have opened it in a do tab. That's Albert Einstein's birthday. Um, let me, I'm going to take off my headset for two seconds. All right, I'm back. My hair was just in my face. Okay. All right, so one minute. Oh no! One. Oh my God! <laughs> Just say this. Twenty-five seconds. seconds. Twenty-five seconds. Okay. <laughs> Podcast stop. That that sounded bad, but um... we can do another one if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Forty seconds. What the hell is up with me? I feel like I'm super early on these. It's, you know, inter- internet shit. Yeah. Probably. But that one sounded <sighs> okay to me. Okay. Yeah. You think that's usable? I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it all comes out in post. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. If you've gotten this far. I, I use Claps as like a guideline, but I don't like... Uh, I always have to like listen to it for a minute or two just to be like, oh, this sounds right, you know? Yeah. So we had this thing, like, so all of the ghosts in the Shell episodes were like a complete nightmare to edit because it turns out that like, for some reason, Connor's audio is slightly faster than mine. And so we started doing a clap at the beginning and the end. And I like literally have to slow Connor's like recording down by like, a second and a half every single time in order to like actually get it to line up. But it was just an absolute nightmare, like editing it and it just slowly getting desynced and me being like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so was it, um, cause I had this happen once with Curly. Um, and like Nora and I were recording at like, uh, 44.1 and Curly was recording at like, uh, 48 kilohertz or something. Um, that would be my guess. But, I don't know. I'm recording uh, at 44.1. Yeah. Okay, yeah, well then I don't fucking know. Yeah, I don't know. I just, literally one of the first things I do is, um, like, do the time thing. Also, I'm opening the door. Lem just came in. Oh, and here's Ali. <laughs> <sighs> the fuck is well, happening on my phone? Um, yeah, uh... Thanks again for um, coming on, Autumn. It was really nice to, to meet you. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and not be, um, not only know you through screenshots. <laughs> um, so, um, 
but yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to you know doing the rare stuff together. And, yeah, it's uh, gonna be fun. It's gonna be goofy. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and uh, I I expect it to be um, a a, re- a real a real nice time. <laughs> I I torrented all of Ray Earth yesterday, so I'm I'm hype. Yeah, I I think I watched Ray Earth like last year, um, and I just never deleted it. Like I torrented it and mm. never deleted it. It's still on my mm. computer. It's just ready to go. It's <laughs> it's simply one of my favorites, despite having some complex feelings about it. But the complexity is part of why I love it. So yeah. Which we'll, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll That's briefly what the touch podcast on that. For. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm sure I we'll, hope we'll briefly touch on that complexity. I don't know if you noticed this when you were looking at the the spreadsheet, but we're doing like ten episodes per episode of the podcast. So I hope yeah. you're ready to watch five episodes a week. <laughs> oh, uh, should I stop recording? Um, no, I'm still recording. Okay, okay. I just wanted to double check. Yeah, no, I saw that. I'm cool with that. Uh. I will need to, like, I'm going to have to, like, come up with some way to, like, anchor myself, but, uh, yeah. It's fine. I've never done a podcast that's about ten episodes at a time, but I think it'll be fine, so. Yeah, Ray Earth is extremely a series, too, where it's just, like, so slowly paced that I don't know, like, I feel like I would just be very frustrated, especially with the way that Ghost Divers works, to, like, talk about even just, like, three or four in an episode um yeah when i was doing um sailor sundays uh like covering sailor moon two episodes at a time was absolutely maddening uh, <laughs> yeah. a bad way to do that um just a bad way to do that right, well I should, I, I should go to bed yeah probably it's it's time to be hitting the old dusty road i think for me it's midnight plus uh daylight savings so yeah oh fuck <laughs> oh god the bane of my existence <sighs> alright well yeah I will talk to y'all later yeah. right bye see you at Ray Earth bye oh let's get yeah I'm already in my Craig channel okay I like how I have a secret channel that's just for me having Craig join um Sweet. Okay. And so, also, I'm going to, before we start recording, invite Autumn to the Discord. How do I invite people to Discords again? <laughs> oh, there. Invite. Mm. Yeah. Really not intuitive there. There's just, like, so many different little menus if you're like are going around especially if you have like the full ownership of something um anyway yeah so on the on the headphone subject because i i think we're both secretly like audiophiles yeah (laughs) have we i think we've talked about this before we're like kind of audiophiles but we're not super like all the way so it's just never comes up but yeah um we yeah, are so... we are like self-aware audiophiles or we know kind of how ridiculous it is to be audiophiles and so we like try to tamp it down but the the impulse is there yeah like it's I'm... one of the 
this is a, a reference that I don't think you will get, but listeners will probably get. It's one of the areas where I'm like, I look at Rob Zachney and I'm like, there but for the grace of God go I. Um, uh-huh. the, the other thing is just like whenever Rob Zachney talks about coffee and I'm like, I am really into coffee, but I'm also like glad that I just got a decent like you know prosumer level or whatever espresso machine and i just make espresso and i'm like fine with the fact that the steaming wand isn't that great i just live with it yeah (laughs) i'm not like trying to mod it and everything yeah it's funny that you say that because the exact thing i was going to say is like i'm an audiophile to the extent that i do that i will do research on like well first i'll decide like how i whatever you know, needs I have and how I want my audio thing set up. I will then do research to be like, what is the, you know, what is, what is good. And then I'll buy it and then I'll just use it. And like, that's the end of it for me. Yeah. I'm not like posting, you know, on forums or like talking about it ever. Cause I just know that nobody gives a shit. And I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I have like, I bought my, you know, my headphones, like my Sennheiser headphones that are actually not great for podcasting because they're, I have like sound leakage cause they're, um, yeah, you know, they're not like fully enclosed. You don't say. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, but uh, am I going to change my headphones? No. Um, and then I got a sound card for my PC because I can't use these headphones without like a sound card. Um, so yeah, that's how I know, like, the jack that you're talking about, because, you know, I have one. And yeah. And it's plugged into my sound card. I um. also, like, spilled... <laughs> I spilled coffee into my computer um, a couple years ago, and the sound card is, like, the only component that survived somehow. Um, so nice. I'm just, you know, I'm sticking with it now. Um. Yeah, let's maybe start this, especially since we're running late. <laughs> yep, yep. Let's do it. I'm ready. Um, you on time? That is. Yeah, I am. I'll need to refresh it though. Yeah. Okay. Let I'll let you do ready. the seconds again. Okay. It's a lot of pressure. Okay. You ready? Yeah. All right. Nine thirty-six. Uh, 16. All right. That, that sounded pretty good to me. Okay. Yeah. I was like, just a, we're, we're going to have like to a like a quarter second early, but it's okay. Yeah. We're going to have to like clap again when autumn's in anyway. So. Okay. Triple clap. This is, yeah, this is new territory we're entering into. Um, all right. Because, yeah, they're just, like, I don't, like, I haven't watched Crow High at all, and I also haven't listened to those episodes yet. Um, so just, like, call me in for uh, Final Fantasy VIII, and then they'll probably stick around for me ranting about queer alt comics, even though they haven't read them. So, so they're like, mm. that just seems fun. Yeah, I mean, that's not, yeah. Who would, who would want to miss that? Yeah. I mean, you also uh, haven't read them, so. Right, yeah. I, well, here I was being like, oh, I feel bad because I haven't read these, and 
you know, Autumn, like, probably has. Because I just, you know, assume that this is... <laughs> uh, that these all queer are, like, people read all queer comics. Counter, is no, that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just assume, like, that... Though I know nothing about that space, but I assume if you're, like, bringing it up that it's, like, fairly well-known. Um, no. So. Well, well I'll, I'll save it from when we get to them, but there's, like, very specific reasons why I brought these up. I mean, Gaylord Phoenix is kind of especially well-known. Um, I think it, like, won some awards when it came out, um, but it's still... It's not, like, a thing that a ton of people read, and it's also mm. kind of old at this point, um, so... Okay. Well, my point was like I'm glad that it's just I'm glad that you're flying solo on that one. That yeah. you're gonna have to, we're gonna have two people here who don't know what you're talking about and can't really engage on the details. Kind of <laughs> makes me feel like less guilty. Yeah. Um. I mean, that's gonna be me with Final Fantasy VIII. Except there'll be two people. Who yeah, know that's about why. It that's and, why we have yeah. reinforcements. <laughs> um. All right. Let's. Let me. Let me do the opening. Um, oh, wait, I got to stop recording. It's, it didn't pick up my mic. I'm glad I checked the checklist. Okay. Um, okay. Um, (laughs) well, that'll be fun for, I mean, we just have to do another time that is clap because I'm over on blue snowball now. I I fixed it. We just, Oh, okay. So it wasn't like getting you at all. Yeah, um, but right. I I will have to, like, cut and shift around a little bit. Um, so let's do another time that is clap. You felt bad okay. about the last one anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, um, is there anything else you need me to, do you need, well, never mind. Yeah, just a clap. Yeah. Okay, right. Nine, uh, 93931. Okay, that felt good to me. It did. Felt good to me also. All right. Hello. Hey, what's up? Um, not too much. <sighs> My clean room is pretty quick this time. Autumn is currently waiting for their wife to surrender the mic, so they will... Mm. They'll be with us shortly. I think I'm gonna do Garfield while we wait. Okay. I haven't done I haven't done Garfield yet. Sounds good. So you can just sit here and I will read Garfield aloud to you. Mm. Um, and try not to laugh about you actually being able to respond. Okay. I'll I'll be I'll be silent. <clears throat> okay. Um I'll be I'm gonna be very I'm gonna be sitting here very seriously. Okay. While you read I'm this. About, I'm, a, I'm about to start. Okay. Um, so today, the table's kind of a, a slightly purplish, um, bluish color. Um, it's like a little bit like a navy blue, but just a touch more purple. Um, and then the wall behind is a lighter blue, kind of like a baby blue. Um, and... Garfield and Squeak the Mouse are at the table. Uh, Garfield's on the left and Squeak the Mouse is on the right. Um, Garfield is like has a neutral face and is holding up a notepad with a, a pencil. Um, no, notepad in left hand, pencil in right, and is like writing something down. And then Squeak has um, his 
left arm on the the table and is thinking cheese 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 with a comma in between each cheese and then an ellipsis at the end um the second panel uh basically identical except now squeak has raised his right hand to his mouth um but is again just saying cheese 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 although no ellipses this time and then the final panel um garfield has put the pencil down is no longer writing um has kind of lowered the pad of paper a little bit um and garfield thinks thanks for your help with the shopping list um and squeak raises his right hand like toward the air pointing up um and thinks and cheese with an exclamation point all right that, that was a garfield nice it was green let me tweak this this is a ridiculously bad garfield I mean, they're all kind of bad, but, like, this one was really dumb. Yeah, I was, like, trying to... I was trying to like it. Not, I mean, not your performance that was, you know, eminently likable. But the panel itself, as you're describing it, I was just, like... uh. I I don't like when the the table and the wall are such similar colors. Like I like when there's some contrast there. Um, Garfield holding the pad of paper and writing was interesting because we've been getting a lot of like Irma taking like orders um, at the restaurant lately. Mm-hmm. So it's been interesting. Like it's interesting to see Garfield doing that, but also like like it's it's just cheese a bunch. <laughs> Yeah. Like. Yeah. The, yeah. Like Garfield likes cheese because lasagna, and the mouse likes cheese because mouse. And like you know, that's what that's what I got. <laughs> that's what I got. <laughs> By the way, Neve drink check. So mm-hmm. I was originally planning to eat, to drink this Scotch style ale brewed with honey, and so I had it like chilling in the fridge. And then mm-hmm. Emily wanted a cocktail before I record because she like always wants me to make a cocktail before I record for like my payment that's, for going and disappearing yeah, into the closet the for four hours. Um, and so I want to reasonable. open. Yeah, I want to open the liquor cabinet, and uh, there were some like cans that were on top of other bottles and they just like pushed a bunch of the bottles out and so uh karen ichiban got busted and like the the top fell off um as Mm. well as a bottle of tonic and so in addition to the large can of it's like a tall boy of the scotch style ale i also drank a karen ichiban and also a gin and tonic just to like (laughs) use up so and i'm I've already had the gin and tonic and the Kirin Ichiban, and I am like a third of the way through the Scotch oh, no. Ale. So just so you like know where my vibes are at, Neve drink check. Yeah. Were you now answer honestly? Were you saving that Kirin Ichiban for your Katsuragi like bit <laughs> for our next Eva episode? Um, I have definitely been trying to drink exclusively Kirin Ichiban because I can't get Yabisu 
I talk about this on the podcast, Autumn, but like I mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. I would have to go to Mitsuo, which is like out in the suburbs, in order to get Yabisu, which is the like beer that shows up all the time in Ava. So I got Kiranichiban, which is my like favorite of the Japanese beers that I can get like at my local liquor store. Um, and I've been saving it for exclusively drinking it when we record Ava. Um, and the joke is that when we do the question bucket for Ava, I'm just going to have an entire six pack of Kirin Ichiban and I'm just going to try and like pound the entire thing during the recording to be my absolute most misato. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked at the bottle of rum and I was like, no, I don't have anything to mix, and so I'm just going to do two shots, and that'll be a bad scene. <laughs> I'll just make a cup of tea. I'm glad that, like... <laughs> I'm glad that the energy is totally mismatched. <laughs> Welcome to Ghost See, the Divers. thing is, I always drink while I'm recording Ghost Divers. It's just, like, what I do in order to be able to actually talk into a mic. Mm. I get so. that, for sure. 